Life is back on, sports bettors, and BetUS has your NBA, NHL, UFC, PGA, and yes, NFL betting lines up for their 27th year and live betting on all of it. Log in to BetUS.com or call 800-729-3887. That's 800-729-BETUS. BetUS for 125% bonuses with promo code JONES22. Customer service pros are ready to get your phone and social and online sports betting kickoff started now. Play with the proven mainstay in the industry, BetUS. You bet, you win, you get paid. BetUS.com. You can also use the promo code JONES22 with crypto for a 200% bonus. That's BetUS.com. Welcome in, ladies and gentlemen, to another edition of the Jones Report. Tyler Jones here with you. So glad to have you with us. Coming up on today's show, going to be joined by Chris Plank of Fox Sports Radio, Big 12, Sirius XM, and the Sooner Sports Network in Norman, as we will get Plank's thoughts on the NFL draft, as we are just a few hours away from the opening round there in Las Vegas on Thursday night. We'll get his thoughts on that. Also, we'll talk a little Sooner football and uh, some NASCAR thrown in there as well when a playing joint is coming up in just a little while from right now. Plus, we'll have Coach Bo's football fix presented by O'Connor Advisory Group as well as our Tom Fullery Story of the Week coming up at the end of today's show. Thomas Bridges joins me right now. Fresh off a weekend here in DFW as we had a great time, Tom, and it was good to see you out here the last couple of days. We we told the folks a few months back when I was moving down here to Dallas that I was looking forward to going to some Dallas Stars games, that I didn't have an NHL team. And Tom, uh, you, you grew up like a, a casual Stars fan of sorts, a, a big Mike Madonna guy, and we fulfilled our promise to the people that we would go to a Stars game, and I think we're all in now. I think this is officially a Dallas Stars podcast going forward. Oh, 100% it is. And, you know, that was my first NHL game. Um, you know, there's not a whole lot of hockey here in Oklahoma. And, you know, maybe some – if any diehard hockey fans are out there listening to it and you're thinking, well, there is hockey in Oklahoma and, you know, there's the Oilers. But is that – I mean, it does it for me, but it doesn't do it for me. And the, and the Stars game was lit. I mean, a lot of – I have a friend that lives down there and he always posts that it's a hockey town. And that place was electric um for hockey i was like hey all right i mean that made me even more of a fan and you know jose and miguel are with us and i think they both had a great time and i i think by the end of it after you know even after a couple beers we all had um you know the ending to that game we were all kind of high-fiving for goals and hits and you know this is this has to be a pro stars pod now i I think we found you know, and I'll take it even a step further, Tom. Um, next year in 2022, the 2022 through 2023 season, I may even just have to get season tickets to the stars. That's how serious I am. Like when you talk about bandwagon jumping, um, that might be it for me right here. It, it always, there's something to it as well. When you live in a city, especially now in a major city like Dallas, when you're connected to a team of some sorts, all my other teams I root for play elsewhere, whether it's in 
Kansas City or Lawrence, Kansas or Oklahoma City, whatever it may be, there's something different when you can just decide, you know what, uh, I'll get off work and head to the stadium and go see my team play. I might have to go even a step further and do that. Yeah, you should. I mean, I don't know how much the season tickets are, but um, I think it would be worth it, um, you know, and, you know, especially because y'all won, you're not a Mavs fan. So, okay. I mean, it'd be fun to go to a lot of Mavs games. Sure. But you I know, like you're, Luca. he's been fun to watch. Right. I mean, but you know, your allegiance is with the thunder, right? Uh, you know, NFL. Okay. You got the chiefs and kind of the Steelers. Um, so to get season tickets to those, it just kind of be like, okay, it's fun to go to a game. But if you didn't have a team already and you, you get on the stars wagon, then that's, you know, that's your team. Um, and, and, you know, hockey's a hell of a lot cheaper, I feel like, than uh, NFL or, you know, um, sorry, NFL or NBA. And sure, you have the Rangers, but they're way out. You know, that's a drive to go to the ballpark. Right. So, yeah. you know, so, I mean, and you, you're Royals, right? That's, oh, yeah. You know, yeah. So, you know, so this, this is a chance for you to, uh, I don't know, grow in your time when Dallas with the team, the stars are pretty decent. Um, they're fighting for that wild card spot. I think there's two games left. Um, and it, it looks like that they'll get the wild card spot and, you know, hopefully make a playoff run. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we'll be, uh, we'll be rooting on the stars. Uh, that's about enough hockey talk for this show for a while, but nonetheless, off, we had a uh, great time. So, uh, <laughs> I gotta tell you my other thing about being in Dallas and, you know, part of this, I think, comes out when I have people visit, you know, and they're in town and such and want things to do. Tom, I think I'm finding myself, and it may even in particular be because of our uh, our friend Jose, who is this way, who was with us this weekend. I find myself in Dallas, Tom, I'm, I think I'm more bougie now than I've ever been before. I think I'm starting to get a little upscale. I never want to be an elitist of sorts, but I think I'm getting a little more bougie, Tom. You know, you hang out with Jose for a while, and that's bound to happen. It's like when you lay, <laughs> like when you lay down with dogs. Your mom used to say, you know, she, if you lay down with the dogs, you get up with fleas. And okay. it sounds derogatory, and it's not meant to be. But you know, you are the culmination of the five people you talk to the most. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, if Jose ends up being one of those, then by right of right of way, by you know, that's what will happen. I, you know, that one place we went to, the Paradiso place, that place was bougie as hell. But it was it was nice, and it was dope, and I loved that. Oh, man. Uh, that place was in Tulsa. That's where I'd be. You know, and we found our way to free drinks, and it worked out pretty good. Um, it was a great start. You know, I'll, I'll say this much, Tom. I think day drinking beats night drinking. I oh, think – you have, you know, time to just enjoy yourself and you can call it a night without feeling bad whenever and just pass out on your couch. And then maybe you could go for round two, go ahead and go night, go out again if you feel like it, or you can just stay home. You don't feel bad about it either way. You know, you're still young enough that if I day drink now, I have to pick one. I'm either drinking in the day or drinking in the night. Uh, Cause if I start off at, you know, 1030 with some mimosas and keep it going until four. Uh, I'm out for the rest of the night. That's, that's going to do it for me. Um, but, 
you know, I feel like day drinking is cheaper. I can tell you that much. Um, and too. and you don't wake up with a hangover because, you know, you're already sleeping. The next day you feel fine. I've never day drank and then the next day had a hangover. Right. That's true. Um, That's- you got time to get rid of it. That's a great point. And you're not showing up to work all staggering and such. And uh, you got time to sleep it off. I, I think you're absolutely right about that. Tom, uh, the NFL draft coming up this weekend, and I'm so excited about it. Quick plug, by the way, uh, our team at Chat Sports, we're going to have you covered uh, throughout the NFL draft. You won't want to miss it as we'll be all over YouTube and the interwebs and such. I'll tweet it out in my Twitter feed at Tyler Jones Live. I'm going to be covering the uh, Seahawks and the Steelers are going to be my main beats throughout the uh, NFL draft this weekend. So looking forward to focusing in on those teams. But, Tom, looking ahead to uh, the draft this weekend, and it's a different draft than what we usually talk about. This is not a great class for quarterbacks. Um, I don't like any of these quarterbacks, to be completely honest with you. I think that they're all flawed in certain ways, and – I would not want to invest my future if I was a franchise looking for a quarterback in any of these guys. Now it's different when it's the second round. It's not a pick that's as high stakes as a first round pick, but I wouldn't use a first round pick on any of these guys. If I was a team looking for a quarterback right now, that's where I stand. Nonetheless, that doesn't mean it's a bad draft though. Not by any stretch of the imagination. You look at the, Edge rushers from top to bottom with Aiden Hutchinson, Trayvon Walker, Kayvon Thibodeau. Those guys all have potential to be Pro Bowl players in this league, all battling for the same spots in the Pro Bowl, and they're coming out in the same class. The offensive tackles, Aquanu, Evan Neal, Charles Cross, so many good players there at those spots in what's the second most important position on the field, the left tackle position. And you could have your guy for the next 10 plus years protecting the blind side of your quarterback and, you know, find one of those guys in the top 10. And then things get interesting with more defensive players, defensive backs like Sauce Gardner, Kyle Hamilton, Derek Stingley. It is loaded, this draft. And the wide receivers – We've seen what the wide receiver market did this offseason when it came to trades and free agency and such that wide receivers were paid way more than we've ever seen before. Record money for these guys. And now the wide receiver class is here to kind of fill in the gaps of some, some sorts for teams that maybe lost their guy or wanted to add an additional piece. There's plenty of options to go. A loaded receiver class that very well may have seven receivers picked in the first round. That's possible at this point. So saying all this, I would tell you that although that we head into Thursday night, and some of you may be listening to this uh, on Friday or or later in the week and already know what's happened in the draft at this point, but I would say that we are going to be in for an exciting night on Thursday in that you have the least number of teams ever that have first-round picks. And I don't see teams just sitting back. I think the teams are going to try to find their way into the first round one way or another. 
And knowing that you still have guys that are looking to be traded, such as Debo Samuel and Baker Mayfield and such, that will play a role in, I think, in some of these draft trades potentially. I don't know what's going to happen. If anyone tells you they know for a fact what's going to happen on Thursday night, they are a snake oil salesman. It is unpredictable. And I have an idea what I think is going to happen. I think Hutchinson goes one and Trayvon Walker goes two, but I don't have any confidence in that. Beyond that, this is a crapshoot. And that's why the NFL is great. The NFL has made the draft nights, I think, one of the best nights of the year in all the sports. I'd rather watch the, the NFL draft than all of the NBA playoffs, if we're being quite honest, Tom. You know, I don't know if I'd take it that far. I love the NBA playoffs, and I've been – and my team's not even in it this year, and I've been eating it up. Um, I mean, the games have been pretty crazy. But the NFL draft, I'm telling you what, it's every year I always catch myself just ingrained in it. Um, it's always, though, the first round's always on a Thursday, and by the time that I get a chance to watch it, I'm uh, behind um, turntables in a DJ booth. Um, so I'm watching from afar, but you know, it works out for as a, um, obviously as a more forward fan of one team than the rest of the league. Uh, I don't really have to worry about the Rams drafting in the first round. Um, so, but you know, as I like it when it comes to second and third round and, and, um, even later on, you see some of the guys are, you know, if any Oklahoma state players get taken, um, you know, that could go for any other, you know, fan watching the draft of whatever fan, of whatever college you're a fan of to see where they go or, you know, just even other college players that, you know, may not be first, second round players and see where they end up, see what kind of fit, um, that they're in and, and Jones from the entertainment portion, I do like to see the swag. I like to see, you know, who's coming out wearing a, like a, a banging ass suit. You know, who's who's killing the shoe game. That's a fun part that I don't think always was a part, um, you know, historically. But, you know, that's always fun to watch. And then, of course, you can't you can't not like, you know, when they show the players getting the phone calls. Right. You know, that's that's one of my favorite parts. You know, I always have enjoyed the the green room and seeing the reactions. You know, I always think what comes to mind for me is Aaron Rodgers, when he was drafted back in 2005, sitting in that green room, waiting for that call and and, you know, not getting it for a while until the Packers showed up and you could see the frustration on his face. And, uh, you know, the 49ers have regretted passing on him ever since and such. But, you know, we, we get Mac Jones doing the strut, uh, you know, at the draft last year and walking up to the stage and everyone being like, okay, that's definitely Bill Belichick's guy right there. Um, to me, all these moments that you just can't recreate, the drama of the NFL is second to none. It is the best reality show in all of television by far. And the NFL has done a terrific job of being exciting all year long. Even without play on the field, this draft is going to be terrific, I think, there in Vegas. Even with the Raiders not having a first-round pick, the draft is going to be great right there in Las Vegas uh, with everything that uh, is ensuing. Now, although that the quarterback class is not great, 
I'm not a fan of this class. I feel like that the draft will get really interesting when the Panthers pick at six. If the Panthers take a quarterback, such as Malik Willis or Kenny Pickett, then I think we could start to see maybe teams move up and trade into the first round with the idea of, hey, we can't let Kenny Pickett go. Uh, we can't you know, lose Kenny Pickett of some sorts with you know, being the only other quarterback that we feel like for sure is going in the first round. I could see that happening, being a possibility. Now, with that all being said here, if the Panthers do not take a quarterback, then this draft is going to look completely different. I feel like the first five picks, you're going to see edge rushers, uh, you know, maybe a cornerback like Sauce Gardner, maybe another one of the offensive tackles, and then the Panthers pick. And that's going to kind of change the direction of the whole draft. If the Panthers take a quarterback, I think somebody's going to trade up and probably try to make sure they get Kenny Pickett. If if it's him, if the Panthers take, you know, Pickett, whatever it may be, I think Wills is going to be the first quarterback off the board. But to me, that will tell me a lot about how the night will go based on what the Panthers do at six. If the Panthers don't take a quarterback, then I don't think you're going to see teams trade up. I think that they're going to stand pat and – hope to find themselves in the position like the Patriots were last year where Mac Jones fell right in their lap at 15. Jones, I think you're absolutely right. I think that could be the turning point Panthers at six. Um, you know, I think that's the two ways the draft could go. And I think that's the wild card. Um, there, you know, that's, that's the interesting part about this too, as, as you know, teams that may not need a quarterback immediately or kind of have reservations or maybe waiting for the second round to get their guy, you know, my, if Kenny Pickett's still on the board, they might just say, well, best player available. You don't want to, you know, in that case, you don't want to end up like the 49ers missing out on Aaron Rodgers. not saying Kenny Pickett's going to be Aaron Rodgers. Um, you know, at that point, you, that was just luck of the draw type thing. That's generational quarterback. There's several, quarterbacks I don't I, Jones I think you're in agreement here there I don't see um I don't know this is probably going to be a future uh old take exposed but I don't see any generational talents here at quarterback overall I don't see anybody I don't see any Peyton Mannings I don't see any Drew Breeses I don't you know I don't see any of those I could be wrong yeah I'm with you you know you, you look at the guys out there um, you know, the, the Colts, I think that they made the move for Matt Ryan like they did because they said, you know what, we can wait and find our franchise quarterback next year. We can have Matt Ryan take us to the playoffs this year or next. I think if Carolina does not take Willis or Pickett at six, then Baker Mayfield, I think, is going to end up being a Carolina Panther. I think that is the decision that they make with their pick is – you know, do you want to go with Baker Mayfield, make a trade for him and bring him to the Panthers? Or do you want to go with one of these quarterbacks? I don't see the Panthers standing pat with Sam Darnold and being their day one starter. I think that at the when it's all said and done on draft night, we very well may see the Panthers make the number six pick, 
and then make a Baker Mayfield trade that very night. I could see that being the case, trying to get a deal done before Seattle or somebody else gets a hold of him. Um, that's to me what I'm looking at in, in, in the Panthers case. If they don't take Willis or Pickett, I think they're going to go get Baker. Yeah, I think you're right. And, and obviously the, uh, the somewhat minor drama around Robbie Anderson, uh, you would imagine if they go and get Baker that Robbie Anderson will be packaged um, in a trade somehow or shipped out of Carolina somehow. Um, and if he if he isn't, then sign up the Carolina Panthers for hard knocks. Right. Well, that'd be great uh, if that's the case. The guys at the top, uh, Aiden Hutchinson, Trayvon Walker, and Kayvon Thibodeau are your top three players is what it looks like. And Sauce Gardner's up there, and you know he's risen up boards the last few weeks uh, to get to where he's at. And as I look at these guys, you know, Aiden Hutchinson, to me, feels like a sure bet. I feel like Aiden Hutchinson is going to have a great career and that you're not going to have any issues with him. And, you know, he would be a home run pick. Um, and if the Jags, for whatever reason, don't take Hutchinson and go with Walker, Detroit's not going to let Hutchinson fall past two. He'll be one of those two picks. Trayvon Walker, you know, for me, he doesn't do it. I don't like him as much as I do Kayvon Thibodeau or as I do Aiden Hutchinson. Thibodeau, for me, you know, you've heard these teams be concerned about his ego and his attitude and such. And maybe he takes some plays off and such. Well, you know what? There's no greater ego check than playing in the National Football League. I am not worried one bit about Kayvon Thibodeau's ego. If if I had to, if we're up to me, how I think this draft will go, uh, you know, my, my prediction of sorts here. Here's my top 10, not including trades. I think that Hutchinson goes one to Jags. Walker goes two to Detroit. Even though I would take Thibodeau there, I think that they go with uh, Walker in that spot. Thibodeau to uh, Houston, although they could draft a tackle and they need some help there. Sauce Gardner to the Jets at four. Uh, Akim Awanu to the Giants at five. The offensive tackle from NC State. Not my favorite offensive tackle. I like Evan Neal from Alabama more, but Aquano is very good as well. Uh, six, I do think the Panthers go towards Willis, but it's not going to shock me if they uh, pass on Willis altogether and go ahead and bring in Baker. Um, seven, Jermaine Johnson to the Giants. Very good edge rusher from Florida State, the ACC player of the year. I like with him that he bet on himself uh, that, you know, he didn't win the national championship with Georgia this past year. He transferred out of there for playing time at Florida State, and it paid off a big year for him. I think he'll be great in the NFL. Drake London, the wide receiver from USC, I think he ends up going eight to Atlanta. They need a lot of receiver help. Kyle Pitts is on an island by himself. They need, uh, whether it's Marcus Mariota or whoever's throwing the football, they need a receiver to get the football to. Um, Evan Neal, the offensive tackle from Alabama, who I think is the best offensive tackle in this draft. I have him going nine to the Seahawks, and then Garrett Wilson going to the Jets at number 10, uh, the wide receiver from Ohio State. Tom, what do you think of those first 10 picks of uh, my mock draft there? Do you think we could see things going that way, or do you have, have it a little different? No, that sounds pretty reasonable. Um, you know, it'll be interesting what the Jets do. You know, there's talk of Debo Samuel. 
I don't think the Jets give up four just to uh, San, San Fran just to get Debo Samuel. I could be wrong. I don't think Debo Samuel's worth number four overall, if I'm going to be honest with you. Um, but overall, I think that's that's pretty good. One thing that sticks out to me, just a, a, a small quirk slash tangent, Atlanta Falcons, you know, London would be great in Atlanta. Um, but think of it this way. A couple of years ago, we would have been saying that Atlanta stacked at receiver with Julio Jones, Calvin Ridley, now Kyle Pitts. They would have been stacked. Uh, you know, it just goes to show how quickly the empire can fall. Yeah, that, that's a great point. And the receivers to me is – it's going to be interesting to watch. You know, we mentioned edge rusher is loaded. Offensive tackle is really good up top. But the wide receivers, with possibly seven going in the first round, there's some I like better than others. The name to watch for me is Jamison Williams from Alabama. Um, if he was not injured, I think he would be the first wide receiver off the board. He'd be a top 10 pick. And now he's starting to climb back up draft boards again, potentially into that top 15. I think somebody like the Chiefs who need a receiver, or maybe it's Green Bay, whoever it may be, is going to get aggressive. I think Jamison Williams is not going to fall out of that top 15. There's too many teams. We've seen what we're paying for wide receivers now. And with all these receivers in the draft and, and teams desperate to stay up there, I think to me, we talk about turning points in the draft. Six is a turning point with what Carolina does at quarterback. And then after that, who is going to make the first move to get a receiver? I bet. I'll, I'll go on record with this right now, Tom. I think that either Green Bay or Kansas City, one of the two, is going to trade up so they can make sure they get Jamison Williams. And that kind of is the, the turning point of the back half of the draft on a Thursday night. Well, yeah, and I think, you know, I, I, I like to see the NFL one way of uh, – it's a Super Bowl-driven league, right? You take the two teams that made the Super Bowl, well, what made those teams so good? What stood out? Why, what was part of their blueprint, that the reason that they got to the Super Bowl? You could take one – you could take one pick from the Rams, and when I say pick, you could take one thing from the Rams, and you could say, well, f*** those picks. We don't need them. We're just going to chase, chase them how we – you know, that's an anomaly in my, in my opinion. They're, they're, that's a weird science experiment that has somehow worked out. Uh, and I'm thankful for it. But then you look at, you, you want to take one from the Bengals and the Rams together. They both have great wide receivers. Um, the Bengals, look at Jamar Chase. Um, you know, that's a home run hit. Without Jamar Chase, the Bengals don't even sniff the playoffs. Uh, you look at the Rams, Cooper Cup, triple crown winner. Uh, what's, what's more to say there? Uh, you know, if you're not needing the quarterback and your line's okay, uh, look how much this, the wide receiver position can change the game. And it changed it for both of those teams that made the Super Bowl this year. Uh, and it really changed it for the Rams because without Cooper cup, um, you know, Matt Stafford still without a, probably still without a, um, Super Bowl. So, um, I think the wide receivers are in high value. We've seen it with the money being tossed around. Um, even if it is ignorant money like to Christian Kirk. But, um, you know, it's a Super Bowl-driven league. I'll stick to that. And that's, I agree with you. I think Packers or Chiefs will trade up um, to get their guy. I mean, 
that's obviously a need for both of them. Devontae Adam leaves, Tyreek Hill leaves. Um, you know, both of them need wide receivers from cheaper, greener pastures, and I think that's what's going to happen. Yeah, I don't see either team uh, making a move for a Debo Samuel, considering that they didn't pay the receivers that they had. Although they're different situations, in Green Bay's case, uh, you know, Devontae Adams says that it wasn't a money issue, that uh, Green Bay was willing to pay him, but that he wanted out of there. In Tyreek Hill's, Hill's case, the Chiefs weren't willing to pay him. I don't see them trading for a veteran receiver, replacing a veteran with a veteran. I do see them trading up to draft a receiver. And um, we mentioned with Aaron Rodgers getting this new deal, and it looks like he's going to be in Green Bay for a long time, and that they're still trying to heal those wounds. It was this day a year ago that the Aaron Rodgers stuff blow up with the Adam Schefter report. Um, I think that, you know, the Packers need to send a message to Aaron Rodgers that they're in, to, in it for the long haul. They got to draft a wide receiver in the first round with one of their two picks, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, we'll have more draft talk coming up later on. Chris Blank going to join us. Also, Coach Bo going to stop by for the football fix later on. But right now, Let's go ahead and talk about the NBA playoffs at this point. Let's start off with the Brooklyn Nets, who are off to Cancun after getting swept by the Boston Celtics. Tom, uh, the Celtics looked really good. They look like a championship contender. And the Nets, what a just sick, disgusting story that franchise has been. The experiment with bringing Kevin Durant and and uh, Kyrie Irving has just failed at this point. They couldn't play with James Harden. Ben Simmons could never suit up. And now they get swept by the Celtics here. I mean, just no excuse, even without Ben Simmons and such, to get swept here. Um, the lack of desire, uh, you know, it, it, this, this team just didn't have any heart, any passion about it. Uh, you know, it's, it's funny for us to laugh about, but at the same time, I'm like, man, how can you guys get swept in the first round like that? Where's the self-respect from this team? Yeah, you know, and it's it's one of those teams that I don't feel like, you know, might not play as hard because it feels like it's bought, you know. Um, it, it, that's, a, a, to me, the cohesiveness of the group uh, all the way down. And, and I'm, this is not taking away anything from Kyrie Irving because I think he's a great player. He's an incredible talent. It's it really pisses me off when he plays the Spurs because it seems like he goes for a career high. Uh, but his whole debacle and the drama surrounding him all season, just the drama between James Harden and Ben Simmons, uh, you know, KD's injured. Uh, he's, you know, he played, I thought KD played great too. Um, but everybody else, it just, I didn't want to, it felt like after that first game, Jones, after that Tatum buzzer beater, uh, kind of sealed the Nets' fate. I think if they would have won that game, we could have been talking closer to a, a six, seven game series. But, uh, you know, I, I said a couple of weeks ago, he said, Tom, who do you like? Who do you like out of the East? I said, the Celtics. Um, Celtics are a good ball club. They, I think they, I think they could do it. Um, obviously, like what I've seen from the Bucks, because we talked about them, but, um, to go in and, and get the job done against KD in the playoffs and Kyrie, uh, you know what? Celtics look damn good. Man, and uh, for Ben Simmons to not play this series after initially saying that he was going to be good to go for game four, 
this guy just does not have the heart. He does not like to play basketball. And it's so sad. It's so disappointing. And it's disturbing from Ben Simmons. I, I am just disgusted from what I've seen from this guy that, you know, we, we, we see him quit and, you know, that, that just be it. That for me, I look at it, if Ben Simmons doesn't want to get on out there, why don't he just retire then? Like, for real. You cost the Sixers and the Nets all this money. And at first, you tried to make it look like it was all, you know, Doc Rivers' fault and Joel Embiid and such. And now as time's gone on, it's just built up excuses and such. And I'm just sick of this guy. If he's not going to play, then why don't you just retire? Why don't you save us all time and just step aside and retire at this point? You know, I uh, I asked this question in uh, our group chat among the friends uh, a couple of days ago, and, and I'll say this to the public. Why do we make excuses for Simone Biles, but yet we call Ben Simmons a quitter in this? You know, uh, Ben, to me, you know, like Simone Biles too, you know, the, the mental health, all that's very serious and such. But what were we all taught growing up, Tom, that there's a difference between being hurt and being injured. And then you play through pain. You play through those tough circumstances and you throw everything out on the line for your team to win. And for me, Ben Simmons just doesn't have that heart. He, he is so selfish and it's it's disgusting to see. I, I hate it. I'm sick and tired of this guy. Yeah, I'm not a Ben Simmons fan. I, I think the Simone Biles thing is a little different. I think that's more genuine. Um, I don't see – I don't feel any ounce of, of um, you know, um, altruism or integrity with the Ben Simmons thing. The Simone Biles thing, the people that bitch about that, I could give a shit less. Um, she did her own thing, and she's, you know, back – from what I understand. So uh, the Ben Simmons thing, though, Ben Simmons just a fucking chump, honestly. Um, there was a lot of people on Spurs Twitter before the season started. They said, you know what? DeJounte Murray, why don't we just trade DeJounte Murray? And there were so many different polls that they said, would you rather have DeJounte Murray or Ben Simmons? And I was a hardcore defender of DeJounte Murray. I said, I promise y'all, we do not want this Ben Simmons bullshit. We did it with Kawhi. We don't want Ben Simmons. If, you know, please do not let Ben Simmons come to San Antonio because I thought this type of shit would happen. Um, from, a, from a funny standpoint, from a very um, self-centric NBA fan of I hope all the other teams burn in the fucking ground and I hope the Spurs take all the good players and win 100 championships in a row. Uh, obviously, hyperbole there, but uh, you know what I mean? Um, I think it's hilarious. The Nets shit in the bed. Uh, KD shit in the bed. Uh, hell, uh, look at the look at this look at the Seventy Sixers. I mean, they're not even out of the woods yet, right? In the in their first round, and and James Harden, honestly, you know, if we want to just go it on the shit talk fest here, James Harden get the smoke too. He's been playing like a little. He's been playing like a little bitch. Um, in, in 70, you can't do that. And, you know, you can get away with that in, in New York. Uh, I, you can't really get away with that in 76ers. They call it the city of brotherly love, but James Harden really has been holding up his end of the deal either. Um, but 
at least he's out on the court. I mean, uh, yeah, at least he's out on the court, you know. I mean, at least he's trying out there to some extent compared to Ben Simmons who files yes. agreements for, for not getting paid and won't even go out there, you know. I mean, like, to me, that's what's so point. frustrating. Ben Simmons going to play a game for the Nets. Right. Um, no. Will he play a game for the Nets? Uh, I'll believe it when I see it. Right now, I say no. I mean, what happened what, after after this whole what happened? Has this been like two ongoing years? I feel like because he played the last time we saw him was when he got booed off the floor in the playoffs last year, and we have, we didn't see him this entire year when he supposedly was healthy and then hurt himself by sitting down in his ass too much. But yeah. At, at this point, I wonder – I'd like to be a fly on the wall in well, the net. And the other thing, too, is, okay, we talk about the effort thing with Ben Simmons. If he wasn't good to go in game four and he was supposedly cleared before that, why wasn't he out there in warm-ups? Why wasn't he at least testing to see where he was at? It doesn't add up. It just doesn't make any sense at all. Um now you mentioned with uh, with James Harden and uh, the 76ers and their series that they uh, have going on here and the uh, 76ers in uh, their case they lead the Raptors 3-2 but the Raptors aren't that great of a team Tom this should have gone a lot easier than it than it has for the uh, the Sixers I think I mean and it did look you know it did look like they had it and you know, Embiid came over to um, he came over to Drake in Toronto after Game Three, and he patted him on the back. He said, "I'm trying to sweep it," and now it's three two. And and you know, this show will be released on on a Thursday, and that's when they play next. Game Six is at the time you're hearing this tonight at six p.m. on NBA TV. Uh, Jones, if the Raptors win, it's it's in Toronto. If the Raptors win. Uh, game six, I'm taking the Raptors to win the, the series. I think this is a must win for the 76ers. Yeah, yeah, that would be uh, that'd be wild if it turns out that uh, that way. Nick Nurse, I think, is as good as any coach in the NBA, not named Greg Popovich right now. Um, you know, he has done an incredible job, and they are where they are right now because of Nick Nurse, I think, personally. Um, staying in the uh, Eastern Conference, the Bulls and Bucks. The the Bucks lead that one three games to one. The time we're taping this on Wednesday, uh, the Bucks. Even if they lost tonight, whatever. I'm not worried about this Bucks team, Tom. Uh, I think that they're playing some good basketball, and, and and I would argue the Bucks, their best basketball, is still in front of them at this point. Yeah, at the time you're hearing this, Jones, and I might be wrong here. At the time that they hear this, I think the Bucks clean that series up. And I think the Warriors will have taken care of the Nuggets. Um, and in that Warriors Nuggets series, uh, Mike Malone's got to be fired. Mike Malone can't coach. I mean, simple as that. He can't. And he hasn't been able to develop players. You know, Jokic got exposed in this series. I think what you're seeing is that his numbers got inflated a bit from playing bad teams. And when he went up against elite competition like the Warriors here, we haven't seen him be the same player. Mike Malone's got to go. But on the Warriors front, 
man, I'm starting to get nervous. They look like the Warriors of old from, you know, four, five, six years ago. And, you know, I, I, I like this Phoenix team, but with Devin Booker out and such, until they get Booker back, I hate to say it, but the Warriors have to be the favorites right now in the Western Conference, and they're getting hot at the right time. The Warriors are playing their best basketball of the year right now, Tom. Yeah, I think they are too. And it's 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 like, oh God, I thought we were done with this. I thought we were the saga was over somewhat, you know. And I didn't want to count out Steph Curry maybe not getting another championship or anything because I think Steve Kerr's a great coach. And, you know, hell, even LeBron even wants to play with Steph Curry now. So the, the question wasn't what question wasn't is he gonna get another ring? I'm at the point now where I'm like, oh no, is this gonna be another three year, four year ordeal in a row? I mean, they were bad for like two years in a row and got some higher draft picks and who was it Jonathan Kaminga and uh, Wiseman. yeah and so we let them get some some higher players up and now they're back and you know what the crazy part about it is it's, it's Jonathan Kaminga and James Wiseman aren't really any not really contributing a crazy amount no it's, it's Jordan Poole who came out of nowhere you're right and it's like oh god oh no like now they're even getting, you know, flying under the radar, getting other players, and they're just popping off and shining out of nowhere. Um, but I think you're right. You know, the Suns have their own struggles in their series with uh, the Pelicans now. Um, and that game will be tonight at 630 on TNT and see if Phoenix can clean that up and finish off uh, Willie's Willie Green's um, Pelicans there. But, you know, you mentioned, you mentioned can the Suns do it? Should they still be the favorite? Without Devin Booker, maybe not. But but if the Suns finish off the Pelicans, then they'll have the Mavericks Jazz, um, the winner of that series. And I think if they can – they'll have to survive that one without Devin Booker. But at that time, it's what it's looking like. Jones is looking like we're shaping up for a Suns-Warriors. Um, Western Conference final, yeah. And that'll be electric. Yeah, let's uh, talk about that Suns and Pelicans situation real quick. Uh, Pelicans have held their own for a team that finished 10 games under 500 this year and were without Zion Williamson for all of this year. They have played very competitive. And I know that Devin Booker's been out, but I've been impressed with what the uh, Pelicans have done to compete in this series. And, you know, the Suns, it's it's really just about survival at this point. Try to do what you can without Booker and hope to have him back for the Western Conference Finals and then go from there and then hope that Devin Booker comes up to, catches up to speed. To me, when they are healthy, the Suns are the best team in the NBA. And that's all this comes down to is, for me, the NBA championship gets decided gets decided on how soon Devin Booker gets back. I think that's what this comes down to. If Devin Booker comes back and is 100% and back to playing like we think he's capable of, the Suns win the championship. No questions asked. But if he doesn't, then watch out for Golden State, Boston, Milwaukee. Then things start to wide, wide, start to be open a bit here. Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, at this point, I, I'm looking at Bucks, Celtics, and Warriors, Suns. And, uh, you know, that's not to mention that if, you know, maybe the Pelicans pull it off. This uh, game game six is going to be in New Orleans. Um, 
you know, I think the Suns take care of business, but uh, it changes it completely. Well, when I say completely, it really just gives the path to the Warriors for just a wide open slot there. But, um, yeah, uh, I mean, after that, you know, the Mavs and Jazz series has kind of been like, a, a, you know, I don't know. We'd want to talk about Mike Malone getting fired with the Nuggets, I think. You know, as game six is going to be played tonight in Utah, if the Mavs can finish off the Jazz, I think Quinn Snyder's job's in jeopardy. Yeah, I think Quinn Snyder's time has uh, come to an end there in Utah. I think he's going to be gone when it's all said and done. And to think that, you know, they have an incredible duo there with Rudy Gobert and Donovan Mitchell and can't do anything more with it just makes no sense to me. Uh, That falls on the head coach. That's on Quinn Snyder. As far as Mavs go – Luca, they got him back. He looks great. I love the way that he's been playing. Uh, Brunson's been phenomenal. Um, you know, they're, they're, they're playing some really good basketball right now, this Mavs team is. Do I think they're going to get past a healthy Suns team? Absolutely not. But if the Mavs win this and pull off their first playoff series in a decade, then I think Jason Kidd deserves a lot of credit for getting the most out of this team, for especially given the circumstances, for them to play so well, even without Luka. Uh, credit where credit's due for Jason Kidd for getting his, his team through this situation. Yeah, they have been playing very well. And, and you know, the um, Gobert and Mitchell duo was no easy task. Um, you know, I, I a lot of the time I, I think they under – you know, I think they could play a lot better those two together, and obviously we know their drama between each other. But, but yeah, it would you would have to credit the Mavs there, and I, I think you know any team that Luka Doncic is on, I think gives you somewhat life. So they wouldn't be written off completely um, when they clean up the Jazz. Jones and I, I we talked about this, and I said I feel bad now. Um, I, we said Warriors and Suns, and we said Bucks and Celtics, and well, we didn't even mention the team that's done with their series in the Eric Spolster's Miami Heat. Uh, that's probably the way they like it, though. Yeah. Um, we, we almost forgot about the Heat. You know. Uh, but only the number one seed in the East. Yeah. I mean, they made, you know, Trey Young. I'm not a Trey Young fan, and I know that that's not going to go over well with some Oklahoma people, but Trey Young is a little punk, I think. And – you know, the way that he was turning the ball over and the, what was it? Only had 11 points in that elimination game. Your season's on the line, man. I mean, how do you not step up better than that? That that was pathetic. Right. Well, I mean, the defense is so good and they keyed on him. You got to credit Eric Spolster there for literally taking Trey Young out of the game. I mean, great players play through those situations. I mean, credit where credit's due on the Heat side, but uh, Trey Young, I I don't know if you're ready for primetime if you can't handle an elimination game like that. They can't handle the Heat, stay out of the playoffs. Right? Stay out of the playoffs. Uh, With the Heat, though, that team's got something figured out. Uh, You know, I'll I'll say this. The talent level's not there, I think, in Miami or Boston – I feel like that Miami or Boston or uh, sorry, that uh, that Milwaukee or Boston would beat the heat, but 
on the flip side, hasn't that been the case for the Heat the last couple of years where they've been doubted? You know, when they got to the conference finals a couple of years ago, the, the Mickey Mouse finals, they were, what, the sixth seed that year? And here they are, even as a one seed, they're flying under the radar and such. I think you're right, Tom. They like being under the radar and being kind of forgotten about of some sorts. I don't think that they're as good as the Bucks or the Celtics, but they don't need to hear that. Uh, they'll, they'll, they'll take all the all the extra motivation of some sorts because that's what they do is just prove people wrong. Right. I mean, I think that's the way they like it, kind of flying under the radar. When you look at this Heat team, just on paper, I don't see, you know, when you look at them, you, you, like I said, we mentioned Milwaukee and we mentioned Boston, um, you know, and almost messed up, forgot about the Heat. When you look at this Heat team on paper, you don't think number one seed in the East. You know, if you would have told me they were the number, they just, I don't know, they're good and they play well. And Eric Spolster is a great coach. I, th I think this coaching job that's done by Eric Spolster right now uh, literally verifies him as one of the, I think, a top four coach in the league, maybe top two. Um, he's done it quietly after the whole LeBron saga. Uh, the Heat have still remained good. I mean, they haven't been complete dog like some of these other teams. Um, you know, I, I, Eric Spolstra just slowly but surely pounded the rock out there in Miami and getting her done. Uh, and I think he's to be credited for it. And I don't think enough people are talking about it. Like I said, I, I think they like it. I think they like it. Like, hey, you don't draw well, attention. We're just kind of over here winning games, sweeping or, you know, winning, knocking people out. When you look at that team, too, Jimmy Butler, I mean, he's playing good, but he's not playing like he was a couple of years ago. Um, Tyler Hero's been really good. You know, Duncan Robinson, some of these other guys here, they're playing well as such a collective team, a collective unit. This team was built totally different from the big three team that Pat Riley built there in Miami. They've done this thing a whole nother route. And it feels like that we're seeing the death of the super team, Tom. When you see what happened with the Nets didn't work. The Lakers, the way that they've fallen off the map with what they were trying to do and such. And these teams that were built from the inside, like the Bucks and the Heat and the Suns and even the Warriors. The, it, these teams are all here what they did in the draft, not what they did to attract, you know, super teams and, and, and do things that way. It's a, a different NBA now. Yeah, it is. And, um, you know, you know, the, all the teams are kind of feeling out. And is it the complete death of the super teams? You know, maybe, maybe just this run of super teams aren't working. Um, when I say that, I'm talking about, obviously, the Lakers and the Nets. Um you know, hell, they even tried to make a super team. I maybe I think it was it was like a funnel. Like if you know a funnel comes out of the sky, can make a tornado. That's what the that's what the Los Angeles Clippers wanted to do, but they fit all they ended up as a funnel. Um, Paul George hurt, Kawhi hurt. Um, the Clippers could go back to mediocrity very quickly, but um, Jones, yeah, uh, I think maybe this iteration of super teams this past time um meaning the lakers and the nets fizzled out i don't think that 
necessarily means that we won't see another super team in the in the near future. Um, but it does seem to have been somewhat figured out, right? Um, now it's it's going to be you know maybe hopefully back to the built not bought, but that's be yet to be seen. Yeah, we'll see what happens. Uh, Chris Plank going to join us in just a moment. We'll talk all things NFL draft and uh, some Sooner football and a little NASCAR as well when Plank stops by. Also get Coach Bo's football fix presented by O'Connor Advisory Group as well as our Tom Fullery story of the week. And we'll have some Big 12 discussion as well. Plenty more to come. Stay with us right here on the Jones Report. Joining us now on the Jones Report this week, it is Sooner Sports Network host also with Big 12 Radio and Sirius XM and Fox Sports Radio. He does it all. It is Chris Plank who is back with us once again. Plank, appreciate you joining us, man. I know that you got a lot going on in your world these days. Uh, thanks for stopping by. Tyler, how are you? Um, good to be on with you. Hope all is going well. And literally, I'm full disclosure. You know, we, we bring you the hard hitting and breaking news when it happens. I'm currently sitting in a Lowe's parking lot chatting with you. So oh. as soon as soon as we're done here, the, the rain has allowed me one extra day to stay in Norman before Heading up uh, I-35 North to uh, Lawrence, Kansas. Your old stomping grounds this weekend for you Kansas softball. But it's uh, a little uh, flower and, and I guess you could say tree checking out and deciding what we want to plant this year for me at Lowe's before we hit the road. Okay, okay. Do, do you have an idea in mind what you're, you want to plant or do you, are you hoping that they tell you what, they, what to do? Here's here's what I did on my way over here. I stopped at Best Buy and got a, a quote on a brand new in-house surround sound. So yeah. I'm trying to work a deal with my wife where she can pick whatever flowers she wants in exchange. Let's just go with this surround sound. I'm not going to win. I'm going to lose. But I'm here as kind of more support than anything else, Tyler, because all I'm good for is 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 a checkbook when it comes to these kind of trips. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to die trying. I love the effort. I'll, I'll try. But I'm not going to win my surround sound, and I'm not going to get to pick anything. I'm just here to make sure that it all uh, all gets delivered home. <laughs> That's great. Uh, Plank, the NFL draft coming up uh, this weekend, and I know that you're a big draft guy, and, and, and watching how this all unfolds, a, a unique draft where it's so defensive heavy, but not a, a lot of great offensive talent like we typically talk about. Yeah, and, you know, it was a – it was a national championship weekend that was dominated by, you know, a couple of quarterbacks, one that is not eligible for the draft and one that, you know, to be honest, wouldn't have been drafted just from individual perspectives, because our story we came away with was just how great Georgia's defense was, right? What we didn't realize is just how many individuals from that, that draft could be picked in the first round and just how many of them could go at number one, number one overall, uh, potentially. But, yeah, I, I've i said this to, about everyone that would listen. This has been an odd year because there might not be a player that touches the football go in the top ten. Now, I think there will be. I think at ten you're going to see a receiver go, if not sooner. I don't think that run on a receiver starts at four, but I could be wrong. But the juice has kind of been minimal, right, um, heading into this draft. A lot of teams that uh, don't have a first-round pick, I mean, like in the case of Miami and Vegas, teams that don't have two um, in the first, what, two rounds of the draft. So, I, again, I don't know if there's as much juice as there's been in the past, but I'll tell you what, 
I am so intrigued to see what happens when these runs start, right? When you see that run on the offensive tackles, knowing that there's probably only three that are, well, four, that are going to go in the first round, maybe a fifth. Uh, when you when you see a receiver go, you start seeing a run. I, I am so infatuated with this draft, despite the fact that it hasn't had the same amount of buzz that maybe you've had in years past leading up to this weekend. Well, and, and I know that this isn't a great quarterback class by any stretch, but, but Plank... There's always the need for quarterbacks, and these guys, I don't think any of them are, are worthy of a first-round pick, but that doesn't matter. The need uh, moves these guys up a bit where we could be talking about you know, maybe even three or four quarterbacks. It's not out of the question of these guys getting picked because of the need that these teams have and taking advantage of that fifth-year contract option you get of a first-round pick as opposed to a second-round pick. Yeah, and... I think it all starts in this draft at six, and I think that's the moment where we find out. You know, are we gonna are we gonna be talking about um, an extra couple of guys that end up in the first round? Right? Is that what we're gonna be talking about? Are we gonna be talking about um, maybe guys dropping a little bit? I tend to subscribe to the theory that they're gonna drop a little bit. That's just me. But if Carolina falls in love or has fallen in love with a Kenny Pickett, then I mean, come on. They could take him there, and I know that we're looking at a situation where you've got a coaching staff and in Matt Rule, a guy that's coaching for his job. But might it show a little bit more if he's coaching for his job, and he has a young quarterback that shows maturation and growth underneath him? If it's a Pickett or a Malik Willis or a Desmond Ritter um, or Sam Howell or whomever it might be that they could value there at six, so. You know, I think that's the big turning point. That's the big question in this draft. Where do the quarterbacks start to go? They're not the sexiest, um, but there could still be a handful that go early because of, as you said, of need and because of that fifth year and because of maybe feeling like that fits better for you than spending the 16 mil on Baker Mayfield this year. So, yeah, there is a lot of excitement in this year's draft because of where these quarterbacks might, might land. But again, I don't think you have a Trevor Lawrence. I don't think you have what would be viewed as a Zach Wilson or a Trey Lance, you know, these franchise guys, even Mac Jones. I don't know if you have that in this draft. You know, uh, a guy that you and I both love, Baker Mayfield, and, and I want to talk about uh, the, the weekend at OU here in, in, in just a little while. But, you know, knowing that he's available right now and the, the trade market, of course, the, the Browns are shopping him. I would rather have Plank personally Baker than any of these quarterbacks in the draft right now. What say you? Um, yes, I'm with you 100%. And, in fact, you know, to kind of go back to the, the general conversation. Sorry about that, Tyler. To the general conversation we were having about quarterbacks. You know, let's. I keep going back to Carolina at six because I just think it's such a potential massive turning point in this draft. And – if Carolina decides, okay, we're going to come up with a deal and go get Baker Mayfield, we're we're gonna we're gonna make a deal with Cleveland, and we're gonna find a way to make the money work, and we're gonna put Baker in a competition with Sam Darnold, and let's see what happens. And then you can go get the best player that's available at the board at six. If that's an offensive tackle, if Charles Cross falls there, so you know, to me, that might be what makes a difference between. Carolina feeling like they need to take a risk and reach for a quarterback back at six or showing up the offensive or defensive line and and basically going um, uh, going 
you know, the Baker Mayfield route. So I'm fascinated to see if that happens. I also, there's another team, maybe two, um, that I think should be on quarterback watch and, you know, maybe not Baker Mayfield watch, but at least quarterback watch. And I think that's Tennessee and Pittsburgh, you know, and I I would rather have Baker Mayfield over any of these quarterbacks in the draft, but Pittsburgh might look at a Malik Willis as a guy that they could groom for a year or two. Um, He's not going to grow. I mean, he's six foot, so you're not getting, you know, what you had in Big Ben size-wise, but you, you might have the quarterback with the best upside in this entire class, you know, Malik Willis, if you're Pittsburgh. So, uh, Tennessee is a team that I'm intrigued by, too. I'm kind of wondering if maybe Tennessee doesn't even factor into trying to make a play for Baker, if they can come up with a contractual way to make it work. Listen, they they didn't advance last year because of egregious errors made by their quarterback. So I think Tennessee is a place. But, you know, it, it all comes back to whether or not teams that are needy, needy, needy for quarterback, and that's Carolina and Seattle, decide that they can build around what they have there currently at quarterback or if they want to go get that that next young and up and comer or that guy to start right away. That's where the whole quarterback conversation kicks off in this draft. Who's, who's going to feel the need to go either reach or at least, you know, be patient with that pick at quarterback. In other words, do they get picket? Do they get Willis? Or do they wait and say, okay, you know, I'll, I'll wait and get a Sam Howe later or just go get Baker Mayfield. It is an interesting game of cat and mouse. I'm sure these front offices are playing with each other. Yeah, and, you know, looking at these different situations, you mentioned Carolina with Matt Rule in the hot seat and, you know, Seattle's in, you know, rebuild mode, it looks like, and such. If I'm one of these young quarterbacks or even Baker Mayfield, I'm looking at that Steelers situation as the gold mine. I mean, that yeah. with the stability with Mike Tomlin, with the offensive weapons they already have there, whatever quarterback ends up in Pittsburgh is going to hit the jackpot compared to some of these other uh, openings, it seems like. Yeah, no, I agree, which is, which is why it's going to be so curious if Pickett or Willis is there to see what Pittsburgh does. And I'm saying those two because those are the two quarterbacks – and everything I read and see that have been most connected to Pittsburgh. And who knows, the, the one trend that seems to be constant over the last few days is, oh, yeah, all these mock drafts are going to be wrong, right? And we're all going to be shocked by what happens come Thursday. So I, I think that's the golden spot if if you can land at Pittsburgh uh, for a, any of these rookie quarterbacks or if you're Baker Mayfield right now. And, yes, they've made a commitment to Mitch Trubisky, and it will be interesting to see – you know, if they land someone else in that competition, how it plays out. But, dude, isn't it weird to be talking about Pittsburgh maybe potentially drafting a quarterback in the first round? Maybe something they should have been thinking about for the last couple of years. But now that they're finally doing it, it's it's kind of weird to think that, yeah, that's it. The big bin there is over. And they procrastinated. <laughs> they procrastinated a little bit on how they were going to replace him. And the, the Cowboys did the same thing whenever it – you know, came to Troy Aikman, and they procrastinated in replacing him, and it's it's they they bluffed into Dak Prescott. Um, you know, Pittsburgh might have procrastinated too long, but they could luck into Baker. They could luck into someone that ends up being a guy at where they twenty in the first round that yeah. just falls in your lap. That's your number one guy on your board. So, yeah, I, I'm with you, man. You end up there, you've got a great team and culture around you. Yeah, I think so. Uh, I think you're absolutely right about that. We're talking to Chris Plank here on the Jones Report this week, looking ahead to the NFL draft. Uh, where do you think Debo Samuel falls in all this? Uh, do you think we're going to see a draft day trade involving uh, Debo and the Niners here? 
Um, I guess I do. You know, it's it's wild. On my radio show in in Norman, we talk a lot about Oklahoma, and I mean we're the home of Sooner fans, and that's literally what we do. We talk nonstop OU football, and, and you always look at the draft from a perspective of how it affects Oklahoma guys. And when I step out of that mold, I am so fascinated with what's going on with Debo Samuel right now. Is his in game that he just doesn't want to play for Kyle Shanahan? Is it that he doesn't like San Francisco? Is it that he wants to get paid more? I mean, what is it? Because basically it seems like it's a combination of them all. Does he like how he's used? Does he not like how he's used? Does he want to be considered a running back or a receiver? Or does he not want to be running the football? I will say this. Um, I don't know if I've laughed harder than I have over the last few days of that shot of him in the, in the club. And there's a sign that says, Debo staying in San Francisco and someone's <laughs> yes. dancing around with it. And it cuts to him and he's like, oh, no. <laughs> no, no, he's, he's hitting the cut it sign. I, I've laughed about that all week long. But, you know, if I'm the Jets, you got a couple first-round picks. I, I hear it nonstop. I think that's something you have to consider. Uh, I don't think it makes sense for Green Bay or Kansas City. If either one of those teams were going to play a receive, uh, pay a receiver, why not just pay the guy you had? And so – Neither one of those places when they're mentioned make any sense to me. But dude, I think if he gets moved, if he gets moved, it's going to be really interesting to see what kind of return comes with it. For instance, if it's the Jets, does it involve Elijah Moore and a first this year? You know, that, that was, Elijah had a great rookie. Anahan could be with him. You know, do you worry that if you're the Jets, Tyler, do you worry about the injury? history of Debo Samuel and that coming to light with what you're giving up for a guy and eventually going to have to pay him. Yes, you want Zach Wilson's right-hand man for the next you know, decade, but it's a risky, risky proposition to, to pony up now, but one that I think they're going to end up taking and getting Debo in New York. So I've talked myself into it. I think he ends up as a New York Jet by the time the weekend is over. It's such a weird situation to me because they say that it's not about money, that he doesn't like how he's being used, but we know how these deals work. It's always about money, uh, despite right. what the player says. And, you know, Kyle Shanahan's a smart enough guy. He can, you know, realize that, you know, Debo Samuel doesn't want to get the wear and tear and such. It, it, it blows my mind to think of that Debo Samuel was just a couple plays away from being in the Super Bowl, where they went a couple years ago. And now you want to potentially play for the Jets and live in New York? I mean, <laughs> where, where does that all add up? <laughs> well, it's the same thing with Tyreek Hill, yeah. right? I mean, we're, we're in a run on receivers is what I think is going on. And may, maybe this is a bit of a reach, and maybe this is a philosophical sports thing that, you know, I need to – I need to probably spend less time worrying about and more time worrying about investments, but here we are. I'm a sports nerd, and I'm all in on wondering what the long-term value is of veteran receivers. And now I think you're at a time with with the way football has been developed for the last 20 years, because as they get older, there's dudes coming in that I know are just as athletic and just as good, and you know, I, maybe it's maybe it's not worth it to look at that as a quarterback investment and more worth it to look at it as a 
uh, hey, we'll, we can find the next guy. And that's that's the bet that Kansas City and Green Bay are right. making right I mean, now. Blank, it feels like you look at this class in the last few years, there's more receivers than there's ever been before. I'm not, I'm not crazy right. thinking that, right? I mean, there are more no. receivers. That's what I'm talking about. You're absolutely right. There's <laughs> This is really, really bad grammar, but my my youngest says it a lot. There's more better receivers. <laughs> there's more better players that, are, that you look at and you realize, okay, now, on the other hand, you have a team like Vegas and Miami. I mean, it's says, yeah, we, we, we disagree with that to a certain extent. It's still, you've got you've to gotta hit. There's, there's more first-round receivers that fail than that hit. So when you got to hit, I'm going to get Devontae Adams or Tyree Kill. I feel like I'm losing someone else uh, out in this conversation. But uh, better Debo Samuel, right? But I don't, you know, I, I just, I still think you're going to have teams that feel like they can find that dude in the first round early. I think you're going to start seeing receivers for the next decade go earlier and earlier and earlier every single draft. I mean, Jamar Chase, last year, um, you saw how high the Raiders went with rugs. Um, you go back, you're starting to see that trend up. And it's it's we're not going to be too far removed from a receiver going yeah. number one of this draft yet. Yeah. Um, last thing on the draft, and then uh, we'll move on and talk some other things here. Um how do you think it's going to play out at the beginning of the draft? Is it going to be one of those edge rushers? Seems like there's a lot to choose from. Aiden Hutchinson was the odds-on favorite for quite some time, but then uh, Vegas, within the last couple of days, has moved Trayvon Walker up the board. How do you see it playing out, those first few picks? Yeah, I think you're going to see the, the two edge rushers go one-two, and then I think you're going to start seeing a run on offensive tackles, the offensive linemen tackles. Because, to me, I think there is an elite player in this draft, dude. And I think his name is Kayvon Thibodeau. Me too. And I don't, I don't know where some of the, the hate comes from and some of the besmirchment that is taking place. But I think he is a stud. Um, so I would want him. And I, and I think NFL teams want him. I don't think he's getting out of the top five. But I think what you're going to see is Hutchinson go one. Because I think that's who the owner wants. And the guy with the B in front of his check wins every time. Um, as long as his younger son isn't there to grab the phone and not let him draft Johnny Manziel, like <laughs> Stephen Jones did to Jerry, you're going to get the final say. And, and from everything out of people that I follow out of Jacksonville, I, I listen to and I hear from – that seems to be Aiden Hutchinson in the eyes of, of Shad Khan. So I think I think Hutchinson goes one. I think Thibodeau's going to go two to Detroit. And then, dude, I think we're going to start seeing that run on tackles because there's three elite tackles in this draft, and it's all about where you have them on your board. And Houston gets the first choice of that. <clears throat> and, and I think with that first choice of that, you know, they could go three different ways. But Charlie Cross is the guy that seems to be getting a lot of buzz. I think you're going to see – a tackle potentially go at four and six. Um, and then we'll see, do teams start trying to position to move up to get that fourth tackle off the board? So I, I think offensive edge rushers and offensive tackle, I think, are going to drive the draft early. And then that question will be, okay, well, does a Green Bay or a Kansas City try to use some of its draft arsenal to, to move up and get the first receiver they want and just not wait to see who falls to them? So 
those are two major storylines early for me in this draft. Yeah, it should be a lot of fun. Uh, Plank, let's move on to talk Sooners now. Uh, this uh, Oklahoma spring game this past weekend, the most attended spring game in the country, 75,000-plus there at Memorial Stadium. Tell me what that was like and all the former players come, coming back. Brent Venables, his first spring game there. Seems like there's a lot of excitement right now about Sooner football. Yeah, there really is. Um a lot of excitement, and understandably so, um, because at this this program was counted out when Lincoln Riley left. And for those that are like, come, no, it wasn't. Absolutely, it was. the The doom of Oklahoma had been written, and I think Lincoln Riley's going to do great things at US, uh, USC. I really do, but I don't think anyone could have imagined what Brent Venables would bring to this program whenever he was hired. I mean, he has hit the ground running with a complete and total culture shift and something that at times had been wondered and worried about with the previous coaching staff, and that was the previous head coach, is, hey, how on board is he with this SEC thing? How fired up is he? Do you have a guy that came in right away and said, we're headed to the SEC. This is what we got to do to be ready. I know how to get it done. These guys know how to get it done. Let's go. We're going we're gonna to get it done together and have this program elite whenever it gets into the SEC. So he said all the right things. The recruiting um, numbers aren't all that impressive yet, but you're starting to see these these commits. You know, Oklahoma's approaching recruiting differently. You know, once you commit, you know, they you're in. You know, there's no um, – there's no verbal commitments, essentially, I think is the best way to put it. You're in. Now, you don't sign on the dotted line right away, but you're in. So, um, yeah, I, I, I think it's really been fun, man, and it was exciting to see what that was all about this weekend. Yeah, yeah, and uh, on the field in particular, uh, Dylan Gabriel has been named the starter. How did he look in the uh, rest of the Sooners last Saturday? Um, I'm sorry, you cut out. How did who look? How did Dylan, uh, Dylan, Gabriel? Dylan Gabriel and the rest of the Sooners look this past Saturday? Great. Um, it's going to be fun to follow him. This is um, an offense that he is very familiar with, obviously, with Jeff Levy and having worked in Jeff Levy's system. So uh, he, he's a really good kid, Tyler. I was really impressed with kind of how um, – I was really impressed with how he handled everything. He was he was impressive. He was fun to talk to. He was charming, <laughs> if I could use that term. Just everything you had wanted to – to hear from him you heard now you know now comes the big challenge okay what the heat is on what happens when it's not the defense that you've been how is how does he handle the big 12 how does he handle uh the defensive attack and i think that there is there's a ton of excitement i'm excited him to see how he handles things he was really impressive to me both on and off the field saturday um you know i I think we forget about Marvin Mims and Theo Weiss quite a bit as far as guys who could uh, potentially con- contend for, you know, time dots on this team. Uh, Theo's kind of struggled in that road. And, you know, we just see Mark finish, right? Have a great seat. Yeah, they, they were really impressed. It's a whole fun, whole new mindset. Yeah, yeah, sounds like it. Uh, what's the expectation for year one of uh, Brent Venables there in Norman. Uh, I know that, you know, start of a new era and such, but what what do they want to accomplish, you think, right away out of, out of the gate in uh, BV's first year here? Oh, come on. 
championship. I mean, listen, there's 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 no other way around it. There's one expectation, and this is when it's. But uh, I'll be with. I'll be real with you from what I think. Let's start the Big 12 championship. Go reclaim that Big 12 crown. Um, don't lose it. You're not to 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 passion that magic. What this coach is and yeah, there, there's going to be a lot of happy Sooner fans. But it, bro, man, there's done. there's there's a lot of work done. But it's it's really exciting to see what. On where we're heading. Yeah, yeah, certainly, certainly. We got time for, for a few more things. Uh, so I, I, I got to ask you that the Baker Mayfield statue doesn't look anything like Baker. Um, but <laughs> nonetheless, it was cool, I imagine, to have him back in Norman. That's the first time he's been back in, in a minute and seemed like uh, from social media and such that uh, he, he, he felt great to, to be home, especially with all he's been through as of late here. Yeah, that's all. Perfect timing for a reunion. I really, I really did. And not just from where he is in the crossroads of career, but, you know, Sooner fans are kind of at a, at a crossroads of, of kind of an era now of Sooner football to where, you know, Lincoln Riley did incredible things. But, you know, in the same vein, he also spurned us for a lateral move. And <laughs> if, if not a massive step down, I shouldn't even say lateral in where the programs were over the last, you know, 50 years. So I think fans are have time trying to balance, you know, that era and how or with the frustration happened and under that, Oh, try. It's not Lincoln Riley. It was about years and it was Baker Mayfield. Oh, that was really cool for OU fans. Baker, I mean, you know, this, uh, Tyler. He is just uh, he is such a, a dartboard for media people. I've never understood the why behind it, and um, in the in the end, in the end, he's always going to be loved here, and he be loved here, and for that to see him back and be like that whenever he constant board for criticism. It was really cool to see those two timelines converge. Yeah, that was awesome to see. Uh, really cool stuff there this uh, this past weekend uh, on that front. Uh, you're all over this uh, Sooner softball team. Uh, what's going on with Patty Gasso and company as uh, they gear up for another run at the uh, College World Series here pretty soon? They're really good. They're really good, Tyler. Um, you know, they've got team at the point in didn't have at this point in this year. Um, eventually, their pick came around. Uh, G. Juarez was out in the World Series, but we've been pretty pitching to start and, and, and roll through this. Uh, you know, I find myself, this season moves so fast that you know, I'll sit here and say at the midpoint of this and you look up and there's only two weekend series left for Sooner Softball. So, uh, I'm pretty happy in the future. Um, short-term and long-term for OU Softball with Love's Field coming and with everything that's surrounded. It's, um, it's a really time for just you know, OU softball board and see its growth. So, Jocelyn Hollow is her, you know, kind of trip around the, the, the postseason. Then I'm really excited. That's going to be a fun one. Yeah, I think so. I think you're absolutely right about that. Plank, uh, you and I, uh, both uh, the big NASCAR guys around here and such, what are you making about yeah. uh, this uh, this season, uh, I, I can't believe uh, the, all the surprises with Ross Chastain and yeah. and uh, some of these young guys. The way they've stepped up, excited for the future, Be, and not that you're seeing 
these individuals win, but doing some, some of them obviously in Childress and, and give eyes, but others, you know, doing it with not necessarily the most massive budget, and and I exciting for the sport because I'm old enough to remember when you know cart were a, a serious issue, and I think you might see more people say, okay, let's look shot. I've loved it, Tyler. I've, I've been following this season. Um, I, I love as an old school NASCAR fan the drama that's surrounding you know Kyle Busch. I just I, I imagine a world NASCAR where Kyle Busch doesn't have a riding sponsorship. That's sense to me. So you know you have that storyline coming out um, that have struck Harvick, Truex. But listen, I'm I'm all in this blast, and I what NASCAR has been doing and trying to make up a little bit i'm still heated over the fourth of being uh and tona but i'll get over it eventually but yeah i'm i'm loving what's going on this year. it's been fun right even the experience last yeah yeah the, the xfinity race on saturday had two billion viewers on fox so like where yeah. did that come yeah. from you know i mean yeah. my goodness yeah people are it's uh it's, it's catching on there's new energy in the sport we haven't seen some in quite some time and every week seems to be different i mean yeah you look at uh, Talladega one week, Bristol Dirt the other, Dover this. I mean, it, it finally, uh, the, the NASCAR gave fans what they've been wanting for forever. Yeah, yeah, I love it. Yeah. I love it. <laughs> Fun. Plank, uh, we're out of time. Appreciate you joining us as always, man. Uh, where can people find you and see uh, all the uh, great stuff you're doing, man? Every single social media platform, just find it, Plank Show. And Tyler, appreciate it, man. See you again soon. Time for Coach Bo's Football Fix, presented by O'Connor Advisor Group. You can find O'Connor Advisor Group online, oagks.com, o'connoradvisorgroup.com. You can also reach out to Bo by phone at 785-856-0720. That's 856-0720 to schedule an appointment today. And you can check out O'Connor Advisor Group on Facebook, as well as the Coach Bo Knows podcast, available every Monday and Friday on wherever you listen to podcasts, as Coach Bo joins us right now. Well, plenty of draft discussion to talk about here in just a moment, but as the uh, financial advisor that you are, I'm sure a lot of people are wondering what you make of Elon Musk buying Twitter. What's uh, your thoughts on that situation? You know, it's my initial thought on the whole Elon Musk thing is uh, the whole situation is kind of strange to me. The Twitter board accepting his offer so quickly, uh, they guess his second offer technically, but accepting it, and knowing that they are going to announce their earnings this week, uh, as we record this, it'll be tomorrow morning. They reduce, they do the earnings. Um, I would assume that their earnings weren't very good. They were worried about the stock price going down. Figure Musk comes in, offers them a premium on the price, and uh, they get you know everybody gets paid and people can get out. So I don't know. There's, a, there's so much to unravel with Elon Musk buying Twitter. You know, it's one of those. You know, there's more to it than just money. You know, what happens when the world's richest man has the part, has the one of the biggest social media platforms as an as a, as a owner? We're still months away from being finalized. So it'll be interesting to see if, it, if, if the deal goes through, first off. That's right. not a guarantee. Um, I find the whole thing interesting, but I, um, I'm curious. I'm curious to see how the whole thing goes. Yeah, I'm very curious too. And uh, for more, Financial advice, you can always check out with Coach Bo, OAGKS.com, OkanaAdvisorGroup.com. Bo, 
It is draft week, and as we are recording this, this is the night before the draft, and some folks may have already seen what the first round looks like by the time that they're listing. But nonetheless, uh, you know, looking at the draft overall, a defensive-heavy draft, in particular the edge rusher positions, one of the best edge rusher, if not the best classes we've ever seen. Offensive tackles look really good. Uh, also the wide receiver positions look really good, but the quarterback class, one of the worst we've seen in quite some time. What's your overview of everything heading into Thursday night? Well, I think it's going to be defensive heavy for the people who are like, not, um, the people who are just casual football fans, this is going to be a boring draft for them because it's not going to be the big name, uh, quarterback stuff. You know, the quarterbacks really dominate the drafts. This year we got two, maybe three that might go in the first round. I don't think any of them are deserving the first round draft pick, honestly. I guess the worst quarterback class I can remember in many years. Um, but I do think that we've got a lot of defensive players that are going to be great in this draft. Uh, the defensive ends or the edge rushers, those are those are especially at the top. You got two or three, or three of them there at the top that'll go probably in the first three to five picks. Um you know, I think they'll be – I think by the pick five, those three will all be gone. There's a couple of great corners in this draft. There's some offensive tackles. There's a deep offensive tackles near the top of this thing too. I think you'll see that throughout the, the day on uh, on Thursday night as well. So. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Uh, the odds on favorite for that number one pick for the longest time was Aiden Hutchinson, and that's all that we'd heard about for months – but then the lines in Vegas have shifted to Trayvon Walker as the favorite. But yeah. in league circles, the talk is still about Aiden Hutchinson. What does Vegas know that everybody else doesn't there? Um, I don't know. I, I want to jokingly say that they know that somehow, some way, the con family will mess something up. Um, but it's not going to be. I mean, I think Hutchinson, Walker, and then I like um, – I like Kayvon Thibodeau better than both of them. Um, and I, I think he might be the best of all three. Um, I just think that – I don't know what Vegas knows that we don't know, but they know something because that's the way those, those always work. Um, I think any of those three could go number one overall. I think Evan Neal, the tackle from Alabama, could go number one overall and be a good pick. He wouldn't be a fit for Jacksonville, but I think he'd be a good pick. Um I mean, I don't think there's this one dominant number one overall player this year. I think you got a, a, there's probably a half a dozen players that can make an argument to be the number one pick in this draft. Um, I think it's going to be Hutchinson when it's all said and done. But uh, I don't think they could go wrong. I think Jacksonville's going to go wrong if they don't take Hutchinson and take Walker or Thibodeau. Um, you know, I could even see. I guess those are the top three. They're not going to take a tackle, so I don't see Evan Neal going there. Um, or Iguanu from NC State. Both those two tackles are great. Uh, and both can be in the top five. So I don't know. The other big thing I think it's important, we're going to see a huge rush of wide receivers on Thursday night. Yes. There'll be seven or eight. I think I predicted eight in the first round. Um, I think it's going to be at least six, probably seven. I think there might be as many as eight in the first round. So let me ask you this. Uh, if you're a team that has a lot of needs, 
this would be a good draft with as good as it is defensively and the interior offensive line and such. This would be a good draft to trade back, right? To pick up multiple picks or even pick up a pick next year and such. This would be the draft to to, to, to lay low a bit. I, I wouldn't be trading up in this draft, but I would sure be open to offers of trading back. Yeah, there'll be a couple of teams that will trade up. I think the Kansas City Chiefs are going to trade up. I think the New Orleans Saints might trade up. Um, the Philadelphia Eagles might trade. There'll be somebody. <clears throat> pardon me. There'll be a there'll be a bunch of trades. I think there's going to be a, a number of trades because some players will start slipping through the cracks, and maybe a player you might have listed as a top ten player falls to 15, 16, 17, and teams say, "Well, let me trade up and get that player real quick." I think there's going to be a lot of trades. I agree with your assertion that the, um, the the lower level teams, the teams who are the you know, the top ten picks, if you can find someone and trade down, I think stockpiling a pick is a good idea. Especially if you're a team that needs a quarterback in 2023, I think it's a great time to try to trade down and acquire someone's first pick next year. Yeah, so you can put together a package because next year we'll have the run of quarterbacks. I, mean, I think it'll be four or five in the first round, just based on what we already know. Um, I think that I think the trades are going to be one of the stories of the draft. I fully yeah. anticipate the Kansas City Chiefs to trade up. You want to talk about a local team like that? Yeah. Who has the most to gain? You think from this draft? Who is the team that you see as they are? one or two draft picks away from being in the Super Bowl or not? I don't know if it's all the way to the Super Bowl, but the team that can better their roster is the Philadelphia Eagles to me. They have two picks in the teens, and they're a team that can trade down a little bit in one of those picks, you know, acquire an additional pick, get two or three players that will be every down players or, you know, contributing players. And they've already got two picks. So, you know, they're going to have at least two starters. Uh, New Orleans is the same way. They're picking it, I think it's 16 and 19. Um, those are the two. But, again, I worry about New Orleans. I worry about them drafting a quarterback. I think that's what they're going to try to do. But I, I think the team that can really better themselves is actually Philly. I think Philly is the team that I'm looking for to see. What do they do at 15? I think they're at 15 and 18. Um but if we see that, then what do they do with those two picks? Uh, Philly is 15 and 18. If, if they take a shot at Jamison Williams, who is injured, but will be back, you know, probably late in the season. And so it's, a, you know, a player that's going to be an every down player, you know, once he's healthy and could be, and could be the best receiver in his whole class. You know, can they be patient with that? Can they draft a defensive starter or a lineman with one of the other picks? Will somebody want to jump in front of New Orleans to take a quarterback? Thinking that the Saints 16 might try to draft Kenny Pickett. Well, could the Eagles get a premium to move down to maybe the Steelers pick at 20? You know, that yeah. kind of thing. So that's that's the kind of stuff I'm looking at to see. It's kind of nerdy stuff, but I think that that's, that's the team I think could better themselves. And it's because they've set themselves up with two picks. I know the Jets and the Giants also have two first-round picks, but they're not two players away from being really good. The Eagles are already a decent team. They're not a great team. But you get a, a Jamison Williams, 
and add that to that roster. You go and get a, a defensive stud or an offensive tackle there. Now, all of a sudden, you put some pieces and you might be able to make a run into the playoffs. You know, last year on draft night, uh, the Adam Schefter story on uh, Aaron Rodgers broke and, and there was talk during the draft is Aaron Rodgers not going to be a Packer by the end of the night and such. That was talked about and obviously the rest is history how it worked out. Now we head into this draft and right now Debo Samuels, the story of the player wanting a trade, the biggest player out there, Baker Mayfield also mentioned as well. Do you see either one of those guys being traded on Thursday night potentially? I don't think there's I think there's zero chance Baker Mayfield's trade traded on draft night. Uh, zero. I don't think that any team in the NFL is trading for Baker Mayfield. Um, I think he's going to end up being cut by the Browns in a few weeks and signed somewhere. No one's going to trade because the that that's something that they're going to have to the, the Browns are going to have to eat that money. Um, and they certainly wouldn't trade a first round pick for it. Um, I think that Debo Samuel could get done. I also think DK Metcalf could get done. I think that one of those two could get traded. I think a lot of that, you know, we talked about it, we talked about it on here. I know it's talking about it on my podcast that, you know, uh, Debo Samuel, um, Debo Samuel's um, um, AJ Brown and DK Metcalf all came out one week after another asking for trades. They all have a lot in common. You know, they were second round picks. They have one more year left in their contract. You know, so they're going to go into, they don't want to become franchise tag next year. But do you know what they all have in common as well? What's that? Same agent. Mm. The same agent. He's playing a trick. I think it's a great gimmick. You think about it. I don't know the agent's name, but I think it's a great gimmick because he's looked at the value and said, hey, look at what Devontae Adams and Tyreek Hill just got in money. And these guys are all four years younger. Yeah. And if you trade for one of those guys, so let's say Debo Samuel, for instance, if you're trading for Debo, you're going to have to extend him because you wouldn't make the trade not knowing if he's going to be on your roster in 2023. You can't give as much. And a team like the 49ers are going to take less. Mm-hmm. So you'll have to make that work. I think if Debo gets traded, I don't think it's likely, but I think it can happen. There would already be some discussions between the teams and the player about an extension. And they'd have to have some understanding already. But I think it's genius because I think all three are going to get extensions at some point, whether they get traded or not. And the agent has done his job in getting his three guys new contracts a year early. So I think the whole thing, that's my whole take on that whole situation is that I do think a couple of them will get traded. I don't know if it'll happen on draft day. Um, it'll be interesting. I, I, I think one of those three wide receivers will get traded on draft day. I'm not sure which one. I think the least likely is probably DK Metcalf now. But I think that uh, I, the more likely is AJ Brown. Um, speaking of which, uh, on those same terms, whether it's Debo or AJ Brown, what kind of draft value do you think those guys are? You know, like take example, the Jets are in the quarterback market or in the uh, receiver market. I can't imagine them trading away that number four pick. I could see them trading away the ten. What yeah. what kind of compensation are we talking about for one of these receivers if they it's get gonna have to off? be a, it's going to have to be a one, but then you're going to have to look at well, where is that one? Right. 
if you're the Jets, I don't see why the Jets are even thinking about what trading for in those three. Because they can sit there and take the best available player at four. And at 10, you can get a hell of a receiver, whether it's going to be Drake London or Kate Jamison Williams early. You know, there's going to Garrett be Wilson, Chris Olave. Garrett Wilson, I mean, there, Olave, I mean, there is a, there's seven or eight of them. You're not going to go wrong. You know, there's three or four that I think are higher than everybody else. The two that I like best are Williams and uh, Drake London. But, and the Jets can get one or either, or either choice of either of them at 10. So I think that the Jets a situation where they could make a trade. Why would you trade that pick away to extend a player that, yeah, you might have a better player, but now you've messed up your salary cap as well. So I don't know. I think if I'm the Jets, I'd rather pick one than trade for one. But somebody may jump up. Now, let's say for the giggles here, let's say it's Kansas City at 29. If, the, if they were to ring somebody up and say, you know, and, and ring San Francisco up and say, hey, we'd like to look at Debo. Well, the 49ers are going to say, we want 29 and 30. Or give us 29 or 30 and next year's one. Yeah. And I think if you're the Chiefs, you do that. Okay. I think you go into next year's one with one of the picks this year. I think I would still hang on to one of the picks. Because yeah. if the Chiefs trade up, it's for a receiver. Right. So you're figuring you're going to give both those picks up, try to trade up for one of the top guys. So for me, that one makes more sense. It makes more sense for Green Bay at 28 to try to trade up. Um, You know, I wouldn't be surprised if Tennessee makes some kind of deal at 26 and says, okay, well, we'll trade A.J. Brown, move way up, grab another another first-round pick from somebody and do something there. I. That's going to be interesting. That's going to be the interesting part of this draft is to see if there's going to be a trade amongst those three receivers. But I don't think it'll fully hijack the draft the way the Aaron Rodgers thing did last year. Yeah. That really was just distracting last year. Is there a name we're not talking about that could be on the trade block uh, during the draft here? Hmm. That's a really good question. And I don't know. You probably know better than I would at this point. Um, you know, the way I would look at it is you need to look at the players who are still one year away from free agents. You know, the player that is going into those, like the three receivers that were all second round guys. And uh, they're second round guys that haven't gotten paid and are going into their contract year. So that's the way I would, if I was looking for a formula to figure out who that player might be, it'd be something like that. Um, I haven't heard any other rumblings though. So I, I'd have to go, if I went back and looked, I looked specifically for that. I probably could find something, but I haven't gone that far into that yet. We're talking coach Bowles, coach Bowles football fix presented by O'Connor advisor group, O'Connor advisor group, O-A-G-K-S.com, O'Connor advisor group.com. Bo, um, when it comes to the, uh, the, we mentioned the edge position, the wide receiver position. Let me ask you about these tackles here. Yeah. Um, I like Evan Neal personally. He's my favorite of the of those tackles, but I don't think you can go wrong with any of those three, whether it's Cross <clears throat> or Quanu. I like all three of those guys. Uh, is there any separation between them in your mind? Um, so I've watched all three. Um, Evan Neal 
from Alabama, uh, Ikem Aguanu from uh, NC State, and Charles Cross, Mississippi State. Um, I think Neil is the best of the three. It helps that you played at Bama. Uh, that does always help. Iguanu has some, some, some film, and if you've seen it, it's incredible. I mean, he's a player. Those two, to me, are one in 1A. I think Cross is a little further down, but he's still going to be a, you know, a, an eight-year-plus starter for somebody. And there's one more I think is really good. That's Trevor Penning from Northern Iowa. I think he's going to go into teens or the early. He's a monster. The monster. He gets penalized. He's got a bit of an attitude, but I think that that can be coached though. I think so. I'd rather have a player like that, that that can be coached away from the game. than have to try to get someone who's passive and get that aggressiveness into them. Right. So to me, that's not that big a situation. Uh, But if I had to pick one, I would take Evan Neal. I can sit here and have an argument that if your need was offensive tackle, you can make Evan Neal the number one pick in this draft. Yeah. And it would not be a bad pick. I mean, that's how good I feel about him as a player. Um, I feel like I feel like he's one to Iguanu's 1A, and I think Penning's right behind him. I think he's probably like a two and a half compared. I mean, it's those three guys are great. If I had to choose one, I'd take Neal. I think I have him as my third best player in the draft. Yeah. yeah. I like him a lot. Uh, and, you know, Penning's case, that can be coached up. I think he would be just yeah. fine. That's something that you can work through. Uh, I like the edge uh, that he has there uh, on that yeah. front personally. Um, now, who do you think of the, of the players we're talking about, of guys that could go high or drop a bit Who's a, a name you think that has the – I don't even know how to describe this – most potential to go high or drop a lot that, that we don't really have a oh, gauge on, you think? I'll, I'll tell you who I think is Derek Stingley. Teams either really love Derek Stingley or they don't like him at all. And it's because he's played really great his first couple of years in college. But the last two years – his first year he was incredible at LSU. His second and third year, this year he was he was injured. He was banged up most of the year. Last year, 2020, we've seen what's happened at LSU in 2020 now with the whole Coach O thing. And I think Derek Steele is sort of a, of a case, case model of that. Um, there are teams that are going to maybe even trade up for this guy. But there are teams that just have taken him off the draft board or moved him way down, and he could be the best corner in this draft. Um. He's a top 10 guy for me. I think he's probably the fifth best player in this draft. But I think he's someone that I could see dropping clear down to 15 or 20. Yeah. Honestly. I mean, he, I think, but he could go as high as five. I mean, he could go as high as four or five. He could drop to 20. It's one of those, it just depends on when someone falls in love with the kids, this, this is the guy. Um, he, to me, is he and then Drake London, I think, from USC. I saw Drake London as high as four or five on some people's boards. And now we're seeing him drop off a little bit because other receivers are catching the pack. And we'll just see a run on receivers and he'll be the first one or the second one. But it could go. It could fall out of the top 10. You know, fall out of 12 or 13. And then we see this run of receivers. Uh, those are a couple of guys I'm looking at and I'm going, okay, there's a wide range of where they could go. This is going to be a draft that we're not going to know 
where a lot of people are going to go until the until their name is actually called. Yeah. How important is it, you think, the difference between a first-round pick and the second-round pick when it comes to that fifth-year option that's only available for first-round picks? Is, is that a big deal, whether you're picked 32nd or 33rd? Yes. It's a, it's a big deal. I'll tell you where it's the biggest deal. It's the biggest deal if it's a quarterback. To be able to control that player's salary for one more year under the rookie salary cap, that's a big deal. Um, that's why I think that 32 is the Lions. And I think whatever quarterback is left over at 32, they're picking. I wouldn't be surprised if a team that's early in the second round trades into the Chiefs pick at 31 for the same reason. You know, if Kenny Pickett were to fall or if someone likes Sam Howe or if someone likes um, Desmond Ritter and they take a stretch, but by taking him at 32 instead of 33, get to control the player for one more year salary-wise. I think it's important for quarterbacks more than anything. Um, you know, so I think that's going to be something you'll see, and I think that's the reason for it. Uh, it's a great question because I don't, I'm not sure if you're looking at uh, – I'll just throw a name out here. Nicobe Dean from Georgia, you know, the linebacker, an inside linebacker who's around the 20th player that'll probably go late in the first round. I don't think it means a whole lot if Nicobe Dean goes or, or Traylon Burks from Arkansas, the wide receiver, goes 33 or 32. But a quarterback's different. It's just because it costs so much to the team. Right. Great question. Yeah. Yeah. No, very, very good point there on, uh, on that front. Um, now, when you look at at day two and day three, who are some of the names that you that stand out to you as uh, guys that could be good finds that maybe aren't going to go in the first round, but you'd still give a first round first round grade? I don't know if he's a first round grade, but I'll tell you the player on the board that I'm excited to see where he goes is Wondell Robinson from Kentucky. This is the guy who's a wide receiver. He's probably about the 10 or 12th best receiver in his draft as far as the rankings go. But this guy also played some running back. I'll tell you what I see when I see this guy. I see Debo Samuel. Yeah. I do. He's a guy who could run the ball. He's a guy, you know, we've seen for years we saw players like Reggie Bush and Tavon Austin that the league didn't know how to play those guys. Now the league has figured it out. And Wondell Robinson is one of those guys to me, I think, I would look at and go, that's a guy I can take a look at. Um, another person I think to take a look at, He's to me, he's got a first round grade, but his position means he's not going to go in the first round. And that's Brees Hall from Iowa State, the running back. Yes. I think he's the best back in the draft. Um, any other year, not any other year, years in the past, he would be a high first round pick, maybe even a top 10 pick. But we have seen, and I've said for years, I think the running back in the NFL is the most replaceable position. They get hurt. Wheels come off the bus pretty quick. But he's a guy who can who has size. He's got strength. He's quick. Um, I'm very impressed with Brees Hall. I think that he's a player that if I were a team that needed a running back, I would trade up for it in the second round. Yeah. I really like Brees Hall a lot. He's a guy who I have a first-round grade on. Um, the other running back I have a first-round grade on is Isaiah Spiller from Texas a Okay. I think he's good too. Um, yeah, those are the those are the couple guys on my radar that I think you'll see. Um, 
I mean, those are guys that'll be they'll be sec- they'll probably both be second rounders. Spiller might slip to number three, um, but really, really good. And watch out for Robinson, the wide receiver spot. That's one of the I think he's the most underrated guy in the whole draft. Yeah. Um, well, I think him, and then I've got, and then the other one I think is underrated in this draft is actually a quarterback, and it's Carson Strong from Nevada. Yeah, I would take Carson Strong over Malik Wills and Kenny Pickett. Um, they're all, you know, to me, they're all projects. Right. That's what I was just about to say. You're talking about, okay, he's a project. Well, get in line. Everyone else is. Yeah, everyone in this draft's a project. So why would I? even bother wasting a first round pick on one of these guys. Look, I'm a New Orleans Saints fan. I will be extremely pissed off if they pick Kenny Pickett at 15 or 19. The problem is people look at Kenny Pickett and they think he's Drew Brees because of his size and some other things. And I'm like, that's not Drew Brees. And if he is, you got to pick him in round two or round three, sit him on the bench for two years, not one, because he ain't going to be ready next year either. Here's what I would I would say as far as if you're going to take a quarterback, get it out of your head about a quarterback that's going to be ready day one because none of these guys are. I mean, think about it how we used to treat quarterbacks, you know, Aaron Rodgers on back. All of those guys would sit for a while before they ever took the field. There was talk of Peyton Manning not playing from the beginning. I mean, they were talking to, hey, Peyton Manning will come in when he's six, eight games into the season. And he wasn't uh, good, his rookie And he year. wasn't good. No, he was three and 13 his first year through 30 interceptions. You know, but, I mean, I'm looking. I got the list of quarterbacks up right now. Malik Willis, I think, is the most overrated quarterback I've seen in the draft in 10 years. 12 interceptions at a non-Power 5 school. At a non-Power 5 school. And the one couple of games he did play against decent teams, he didn't play well in. I don't. I like his athletic ability, but I don't like that. I don't think he's ready. I, if the Pittsburgh Steelers were to take Malik Willis and sit him on the bench for two years, he might be ready in 2024. But can you spend a first round pick on that? No, you can if you can if it's 32 because of the extra year of the contract. I understand that thinking, but I watch the Steelers trade up to take, take Malik Willis. Or the Giants tr- or do some kind of deal to get him. Someone's going to trade up for this guy. Uh, Pickett, someone I don't think is very good. I mean, I heard people trying to compare Kenny Pickett to Drew Brees and Joe Burrow. And I'm like, you got to be kidding me. It's because he has small hands. Look, the guy's somewhat athletic. Again, he played at Pitt. He wasn't great. He was good against bad teams. But I don't think he's ready. Ritter, I mean, I think that's a team success thing in Cincinnati more than anything else. Uh, Matt Corral, I can see an argument there. I don't think he's ready. He's coming off an injury. And then, you know, playing at Ole Miss, I think a lot of what he did, especially late in the season, his senior year, or his last year here, I think was based upon Lane Kiffin scheming up stuff. Um, I do like Carson Strong. This is a guy that a year ago people thought would go high in the first round. If you're going to take a project, take a project with as much upside as possible. Right. Three, that's Carson Strong. Yeah. Uh, maybe Matt Corral. I'll tell you one that may not even get drafted, and he might get signed as an unrestricted free agent, or he goes late, like the fifth or sixth round, is Cole Kelly from Southeast Louisiana. He's a big guy. He's like 6'6", 
huge arm, threw for 44 touchdowns to Southeastern this past year. He was an Arkansas transfer. Just when the whole thing happened with Brett Bilma leaving, he wasn't a good fit. He left. Um, he's a pro, but he's a project as well. You know, none of these guys are someone that if I was a general manager or an owner or a head coach, I'd want to hang my hat on. Yeah. Wouldn't bet my job on anybody in this draft quarterback. Yeah. Worst quarterback class that I can remember. Uh, and maybe ever. We we talked about it offline last week. You and I did. I said that you said you made, I think it was you that made the comment of if you take the guys from last season, Davis Mills is what the sixth quarterback taken last year. Yeah. He's the, he'd be the best quarterback in this draft by a mile. I would take Baker Mayfield and his $18 million over any of these quarterbacks. I would too. I would too. And you know how I feel about Baker. And I would take Baker Mayfield his $18 million over anybody here. There's a couple of projects, but they're two-year deals. So, I mean, there isn't a single quarterback that I would take in the first or second round this season. Yeah. Um, let me, uh, ask you this, uh, one, one name I'm watching for, okay. uh, is, is Tyler Linderbaum, the center from Iowa. Yeah. He looks like Creed Humphrey, who ended up being an all pro center for the chiefs last year. To me, if, if you're a team that if you missed on one of those tackles, one of those, one of those guys you wanted up there, but weren't in position to do so. Tyler Linderbaum, I think, could be a nice find. He's not a tackle, but that center position is awfully important, too. I, I would love it if, if if my team needs a center. Tyler Linderbaum, I think, is worth that first-round pick. Yeah, I mean, he might be. He's he's right in that, that, that spot where he can be a first-round pick. Uh, he's going to be a late first-round or early second-round pick. The nice thing about it, if you're a guy like him who falls late in the first round, you're going to a good team, most likely. Yeah. You're going to a team that's, you know, earn, I was to say you earn your first round pick. Yes. You have a late one, you earn it. If you got an early one, well, you earned that one too. So, but a, a guy like Linder Bobby is a good, a good player. I think you, you said it right there. Um, you know, a guy who's a natural center, that's not easily taught. You can't just take a tackle and make him a center. You can make a tackle a guard. You can't really make a guard a tackle. Um, and, but you can sometimes make a, a center into a guard as well. So, yeah. Yeah, I think Linderbaum, I mean, if, if a team looks at it and goes, man, this guy can give us some depth in the middle of the – he has to be a starter. Again, if you're a first-round pick and you're a lineman, you better be a starter from day one. Yeah. I'd have to look in depth to see who needs a start, who needs a center. But I can see him in the late first round to a team that needs a center. Or maybe there's someone who says, hey, we'll move him to guard for a year or two, then back to center. That makes a lot of sense, too. Yeah, I think so. Oh, uh, we're out of time. Uh, before we go, just any uh, any parting shots, any final thoughts before we head into this draft? Um, I'm hmm. – the quarterbacks thing's interesting to me because they all stink, and they're going to go I, – I just have this bad feeling that, like, Willis is going to go number six, Pickett's going to go into teens, someone's going to take Ritter, that kind of thing. But I think if you're watching the first round on Thursday, and I'll be paying a lot of attention to it, it is I'm interested to see what these wide receivers are going to look like. I, I really think that eight are going to go in the first draft. I think that's going to be really cool. Um, I think we're going to see that. And then I don't know. I, the, the trade stuff, there'll be some trades. I think it'd be more of trading picks than players. 
but I think this will be interesting. I was goofing around. I know you've done it before, and I've done it before. Pro Football Focus has their had an app where you can uh, be the general manager and you can play around with you know, trading your picks, making trades. I goofed around as the Saints GM and ended up using 15 and 19 and walked away with DK Metcalf, the Falcons' first round pick in 2023. Uh, Trevor Penning and something else, um, that kind of stuff. I ended up with uh, I did for the Seahawks uh, seven round mock draft in the simulator, yeah. and in those top in those three top forty one picks nine forty and forty one, I was able to haul in uh, Evan Neal, or not Evan Neal, sorry, came on Thibodeau at nine, yeah, Tyler Linderbaum and Desmond River. For the Seahawks, if the Seahawks get came on Thibodeau at nine, it'll be the steal of the draft. Yeah, best part of he's the best part of the draft. I love him. I'm a fan. Kayvon Thibodeau is the my number one player. Usually, I have that player that's not the best player. Like he won't go number one overall. Sometimes he's the number one overall player because quarterbacks are, you know, the the last couple of years we've had that happen. But I think Kayvon Thibodeau is the best player of this draft. And He's I think fun. that, yeah. Now, I don't think that anyone's going to take, I think if you look at the top five, maybe the top seven or eight, there won't be anybody going to top seven or eight that's not, that's not worthy. Yeah. We won't see anybody come in there unless it's Carolina at six. Yeah. And they take Malik Willis. I hope they do. I yeah. hope they do because I can't stand the Carolina Panthers. I can't stand anybody else in the Saints division. I wish nothing. I hope that them or the Falcons both, I hope they both can get bad quarterbacks and be stuck with them for the next seven years. <laughs> be careful about hey, that. Drama. Also that could be the Saints up, coming back on, you know? Yeah. You know, um, Hey, I also wanted to ask you, did you see Baker Mayfield statue? I did. That looks nothing like Baker. It doesn't look like him. You know, he's not grabbing his crotch. He doesn't have, you know, the no two flag. Day, yeah. He doesn't have his, uh, uh two day stubble. Um, you know, he's not getting booted out of the stadium that he just tried to. <laughs> right. I won't. Pro- uh, is it progressive that has the commercials with Baker yes. Mayfield? They've got to have one where he's moving. If Baker Mayfield has any sorts of sense of humor, they've got to make one where he's moving into a new place. Yes. If he does that, if, 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 if progressive and Baker Mayfield could do that, I would absolutely be here for it, and I would change my mind on how I feel about Baker Mayfield. If he has enough humor about himself to have a joke in the commercial about having to move on to a new experience and a new situation. Yeah, hopefully Progressive still has him on board to do a commercial. You know, I think they're a, they're a Cleveland-based company, so I don't think that's going to happen. Yeah, we'll see. Yeah. He's Coach Bo. You can find him, oagks.com, O'ConnorAdvisorGroup.com, Coach Bo Knows Podcast as well, Bo. Appreciate the time as always. We'll talk to you next Absolutely. week. Hey, thank you, Tyler. A couple more things before we wrap up today's show. Let's give you a little Big 12 spring football update. So let's start on the realignment front. As uh, a new report has come out from John Rothstein of CBS Sports that officially Houston, Cincinnati, and UCF will leave the American Athletic Conference and join the Big 12 in the 2023 through 2024 academic year. BYU already was slated to join the Big 12 that season as an independence, but the American Athletic Conference schools have a deal in place to get out of 
the American Athletic Conference's grant of rights a year early, and we'll come to the Big 12 uh, that time. And that was the expected time that we were told was these schools wanted to be in the Big 12 by 2023. It was just a matter of their lawyers putting everything together and getting it done. And, you know, that situation is a lot easier to unpack and get out of the American than it is for Oklahoma and Texas to get to the SEC, not only because the granted rights deal they had with the American was shorter than what Oklahoma and Texas had with the Big 12, but it wasn't nearly as much money as what Oklahoma and Texas would owe to the Big 12 as opposed to those schools leaving the Americans. So with that being said, now at this point in time, with still at the moment Oklahoma and Texas in the conference till 2024, we would have some marriages still going on in the conference where one, you know, a couple schools are headed one direction and a couple schools are headed another, but they got to meet in the Big 12 for a bit. And that would make this conference for the time being a 16-team league. Now, it remains to be seen. Will we ever really see Oklahoma and Texas play these schools in the American? I don't think so. I think Oklahoma and Texas, if I had to guess, this will probably be their last year in the Big 12 when it's all said and done. But if they do end up having to stay for a little bit, I would love nothing more, Tom, than to see Texas go to Houston and lose to the Cougars go lose to BYU or UCF. And you just know if they stay, they're going to get embarrassed by at least one, if not all those schools. And I'm all here for it. You know, they will Jones. And I think, <clears throat> I think Texas, you know, I don't know what the the money is to jump out early. You know, I don't know what. It's around uh, $80 million. Texas is going to find that money. And I'll tell you why Texas is going to find that money. Because they know they're gonna they'll mess up and they'll lose games they aren't supposed to, uh, whether that be to one if not all of them. Uh, that's what will happen. Texas is Texas is gonna pony up that money and get the hell out, and they're gonna take OU with them because I I'm that's, I know it can't be just Texas. They'll they'll front OU the money to get out um, because that would you imagine what that their recruiting's good sure, and it's gonna take a lot to damage texas recruiting especially going the sec but um you know look at what texas a&m already does over texas so you know there's been rumors of that and a&m getting recruits that texas can't because they're in the sec well, that's what texas wants to do but if texas in their final year in the big 12 goes and shits the bed against houston ucf byu cincinnati i mean cincinnati sure they made the college football playoff had a great year I, Cincinnati's not a blue blood. Cincinnati's not going back to the playoff. I don't, I don't, I'll put money on that. They won't be back in the playoff. Um, no, there's no way. Um, but that being said, Texas is going to pony up that money because they know, they know, te Texas knows Texas is not back. <laughs> they know it. They know it. And they're going to pony up the money to get the hell out of there before we have another uh, example A of why they're not back. I know right. they. I know they've had that discussion. They had to have, right? They're, they're thinking to themselves, "We got to get out of here before we get embarrassed." Texas has got to be saying, "We would rather lose to Vanderbilt 
and lose to South Carolina than we would Kansas or Houston or UCF. To me, losing to Houston for them would be maybe even worse than losing to Kansas, and here's why. Houston has always been the little brother to the little brother in the state of Texas and has always been beat up, and they were told that they would be let in the Big 12 you know, five years ago if they let Texas build a campus in Houston and they let them do it. And then they didn't get in the big 12 until now and such. And so that game would be personal for Houston for a lot of reasons. Um, To me, that's what, that's what I'm rooting for to happen is that we see Houston be the ones that, that knock off Texas. That one would be personal. That would be pretty fun. Wouldn't it? Um, You know, I guarantee you that the rest of the big 12 would be, would be Houston fans for the day. <laughs> yes. I, um, and, and, you know, if t- Texas doesn't pony up the money and get the hell out, then, you know, as much as it would pay me to be a BYU fan for the day or, um, you know, even UCF, I'm not too fond of them. Um, just because they're fans, you know, the, 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 oh, we won the, you know, we went undefeated and da, 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 um, all that. Yeah, no, I would still be, I would be, a, a, I would be a Coug fan twice in a season. Once when Houston would play them and the other one when BYU would play them. And I would root for the Knights and I would root for the Bearcats. Um, you know, it's just, you know, and, and to be fair to, you know, Texas, I think they would lose. I would, I would say at least one of those games. And that's being very conservative. Um, and you know what? Oh, you can join in on this smoke too. I would be, I would, it would be beautiful if, uh, you know, BYU went into Norman and uh, planted the Mormon flag on the field. <laughs> it would be glorious. It would be a glorious day. Um, now, as far as the new Big 12 goes, uh, with the, with OU and Texas out eventually and these four teams coming in. What is the hierarchy of the new Big 12 look like? For me, it's this, Tom. Um, Baylor has been the second best program in the Big 12 behind Oklahoma the last, you know, decade with, what is it now, three conference titles in that stretch? Um, Baylor, I think, becomes your number one team. But they don't have the stranglehold on the Big 12 like Oklahoma did by any stretch. I think Baylor's one, but I think Oklahoma State's two and not far behind. Um, you know, they're they're neck and neck. And then I think Cincinnati is probably the third best team in the new Big 12. And then after that, maybe it's UCF. Maybe it's uh, Iowa State. Um, you know, to me, that's where I, I look at the, the pecking order. I think it's in the new Big 12, Baylor one, OSU two, Cincinnati three, and then four, it's it could be Houston even. It could be K-State. It really just depends on the year. I think your, your three are going to be those, Baylor, OSU, Cincinnati, and then everyone else after that. Heck, even West Virginia some years could find themselves competing uh, there towards the top of the league. But I think your, your top three almost every year, especially if Luke Fickle's still around, is uh, going to be Baylor, OSU, Cincinnati. Yeah, I could see that, and I I would probably give the 
as much as it pains me, obviously the edge to Baylor just because they just beat OSU in the in the title game, even if it came down to a couple of inches. I, I think two, three years ago now we're talking OSU, Baylor, 1A, 1B, you know, however you want to flip the coin in terms of years. Uh, and then Cincinnati, um, you know, maybe I don't think this year is just a fluke. They've always been kind of there. They just seem to put it all together this year. Um, you know, Iowa State, I like what Matt Campbell's doing. Um, I'd be interesting to see who they get to follow in Brock Purdy. I know that they have, um, you know, not lived up to expectations, especially this past year. I would throw them in the mix maybe. Um, you know, I'm very interested to see what direction TCU goes. I'm not putting them in like four or five or anything. But I'm just very interested to see what happens with TCU. Um, mainly because no more Gary Patterson. What what new direction will TCU take? Well, they uh, this is a very real possibility they go down the um, Then you have Texas Tech. Uh, Texas Tech, I, I think they're in that kind of transition where it could go either way. Um, some game, you know, you never know what kind of, kind of tech team you're going to get. Um, and so I, I think they could make a, a splash. Um, you know, KU is going to be towards the bottom, uh, obviously. I, I think Lance Leopold's he's doing something there in, in, in Lawrence. Um, but they'll be, they'll be kind of where they always are. Um, you know, I think KU has a chance, though, to beat – um, teams like Houston and BYU and UCF. I really do. Um, so, you know, I, I don't know. Jones, I don't know if you you, you take away a, a good opportunity to win and lose in Texas in the conference for KU, and then you also take away a guaranteed loss uh, with OU leaving the conference. So uh, <laughs> 50-50 there. Hey, Kansas uh, almost beat Oklahoma this year uh, there in Lawrence, uh, you know, so – uh, with, with that said, you know, I, I think that uh, you're, you're right that the, the, the top will always be, you know, those kind of same one through four, Baylor, OSU, uh, Cincinnati, Iowa State, but then kind of wide open from that point. Uh, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens. But uh, to me, this league on paper will never be better than the SEC or the Big Ten, but – it will always be right there, if not better than the ACC and the Pac-12, as things stand right now. And probably better than the Pac-12 most years, and maybe 50-50 with the ACC, maybe even 60-40 uh, edge to the Big 12 over the ACC, as far as I'm concerned. UCF, to me, is the one that intrigues me. I think UCF, everybody talks about Houston as potentially having the potential to turn into a powerhouse. UCF is the team for me that I think the ACC, or maybe even the SEC at some point, looks at regretting why did we not bring them into our conference? I think they have the most potential of any one of these new Big 12 members. We haven't even seen the ceiling yet for UCF as far as I'm concerned. Um, also on the uh, Big 12 front uh, this offseason, JT Daniels coming to West Virginia, uh, that official, and now the Big 12 quarterbacks, to, th this is the changing of the guard uh, in, in the Big 12. Quinn Ewers is there from Texas, the uh, highest prospect ever, according to 24-7 sports, to play college football. A little pressure, maybe. Um, <laughs> Ewers leading the way at Texas, and then you have 
you know, JT at West Virginia coming in. Spencer Sanders is still at Oklahoma State, the reigning Big 12 first-team quarterback, which still blows my mind <laughs> how that happened. Dylan Gabriel coming into Oklahoma and such. This feels like right now a down year when it comes to quarterbacks coming in, but I feel like at the end of the day, Daniels is going to be terrific for West Virginia. Ewers is going to be great for Texas. Um, and then we hear the news uh, with Baylor that uh, Blake Sharpen wins the job over Gary Bohannon. Sharpen, if you remember, completed his first 17 passes in the Big 12 championship game. And hey, you don't have to remind me. And leading Baylor <laughs> to the Big 12 championship, one of the most <laughs> incredible backup performances I've ever seen. Um, you know, him leading the way for that, uh, that, that Baylor team, I think he's going to be an upgrade from Bohannon. These quarterbacks, we, we don't know a whole lot about them yet, but at the end of the day, I think this is going to be a pretty exciting year. We're going to see quarterback play back to what we're used to in this league, Tom. Yeah, I think so. It'll be interesting to see, um, you know, how the, the new guys work out. It'll be interesting to see. Um, what JT Daniels does for West Virginia. Um, I, the West Virginia routinely or, you know, recently has had a pretty solid front defensive front, you know, defensive line. Um, and, and their offense just, you know, usually just couldn't get it done. And it would came down to quarterback play. So West Virginia could be a little wild card. I would hate Jones. Uh, you know, I'm so thankful she went and played in Morgantown last year because I would hate – to go into Morgantown with JT Daniels in town. Um, I think West Virginia is going to break some hearts this season. I do too. I think they're going to be a fun team. I think he might be the best quarterback they've had there since Geno Smith there at West Virginia. Um, certainly better than Austin Kendall a couple years ago. That was, yeah. that was a disaster. My goodness. Um, the OU spring game this past weekend, 75,000 people in attendance, the biggest spring game in the country. And Oklahoma fans saw Dylan Gabriel for the first time. We talked about it some with uh, with Chris Plank early on in the show. And uh, it seems like there's a different energy about this Oklahoma program right now. We, we know about all the Lincoln Riley stuff, but uh, it, it seems like that fan base has got a little chip on their shoulder and, and uh, you know, with, with what's going on with them. It, it's, you know, for me, I, I look at this Oklahoma team, they're not going to be the favorites to win the Big 12 this year. Uh, but if Brent Venables wins 10 games here, then uh, watch out. The uh, the expectations are going to be in high in Norman next year, as, as far as I'm concerned, uh, with as much energy as there is right now. I don't see this being just a one-year thing. I think if they just win 10 games, that's going to carry over to next year. Yeah, I think so, too. And, and hell, it's, it is OU. They could win the Big 12. Um, you know, it's, it's kind of like KU in basketball. It's just like, well, you know, they always have a chance at it. Um, you expect them to be right there. I'll be interested in Dylan Gabriel game one. You know, all that expectation for Spencer Rattler. Uh, and then, it, you know, at the end of the day, it came to him leaving, transferring out, and booze on the field. I don't – I think – I think Dylan Gabriel will be okay. Um, I do think that if he struggles or, you know, things don't go the typical OU fashion, there'll be, I don't know, some jeering. But, um, you know, I, for one, it will be on that drama train when that time comes, if that does come. Um, there's He's got to have – I know he's got to have a lot of pressure. So, 
and, and I think the quarterback play is going to be huge. Obviously, for OU, from what it sounded like, the defense looks a lot better. Um, and it's going to have to be. So uh, I wouldn't doubt it. It is Brent Venables. He's been around that program. He was at Clemson forever. Um, he, you know, they got their guy. I thought that was the right hire as much as it pains me to say. Wouldn't be shocked if they're in, in Dallas um, come December. I hope they're not. You know, be- I feel like, Tom, and uh, we'll wrap up on this before we get to Tom Fultry, that if you want to talk about a reoccurring storyline in college football and such that happens from time to time, you could make a case that one of the most entertaining from afar is anytime OU has a quarterback controversy. Right now, they don't. Dylan Gabriel's their guy. They've already said he's their starter. But the moment he struggles, if it happens, uh, things get interesting. I always am intrigued to see how OU fans respond in these uh, these quarterback situations there. The expectations are high always for that position, and that doesn't change with a new head coach. And it's always 50-50. If the quarterback's struggling, you got 50% of the fan base saying, no, that's our guy, we're going to ride with him. And the other fifty, the other fifty percent of the OU fans, ready to cut his head off after the game's over. Yeah, <laughs> that's a great so point. If I get to that, it might not. Hell, the way OU so gets so lucky with transfer quarterbacks, motherfucker might come in and win the Heisman. <laughs> oh. Gabriel statue now. Let's get it going. Oh my gosh. Tom, uh, our final segment before we wrap up today's show, our Tom Fullery story of the week. Where shall we head to this time? Jones, we're going to New Jersey. I feel like we haven't been in New Jersey in a while. Um, Jones, before I start, did you or have you ever gone hunting? Like deer hunting, dove hunting? I have not gone hunting. I've gone fishing a lot, but never hunting. Have you? No, I I used to hunt as a kid. Really? Yeah, I only shot one deer ever, um, but I used to go dove hunting quite a bit as a kid. I never uh, pictured you as quite the hunter. No, you know what? And it's not the, um, it's not like the, oh, how can you kill just a, a poor animal? Da, 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 da. You know, after hitting the deer um, on my way to Kansas City for the race and totaling my last Sonata, uh, as far as I'm concerned, it should be open season on deer all year round. Should be able to just shoot them and let them lay. Um, after that, shit. Um, and no, no empathy for deer. Uh, no, no empathy, no sympathy, no. You know, it's the population's too big. They're not endangered. Just start killing them for the coyotes. As far as I'm concerned, nothing's going to change my mind on that. Um, but I don't hunt for like, ooh, I need to put a, you know, I need to take this to, you know get this mounted up on the wall uh nothing like that and it's just a pain in the ass to clean i don't want to do that you know some hunters will be like oh girl i'll be a man got the deer right there and you know drink its blood need its heart while it's still warm like no i'm not that's i I would rather especially jones here's my qualms with hunting and in terms of we'll we'll label it essentially deer hunting in this in this case Jones, usually Saturday mornings when a lot of people get up and go deer hunting at, you know, I don't know, four in the morning. No, I'm not trying to be deer hunting at four in the morning. I, I have to wake up at, at by 7 a.m. every single morning during the week to go to work. The last thing I want to do, uh, I mean, mostly Friday nights, I'm probably having a drink. I don't want to go and wake up, go to bed early on a Friday night 
and wake up early on essentially what's one of my only days to sleep in. Absolutely not. That's one qualm. Another qualm, Jones, deer hunting is in during prime college football season. I don't, I don't care to be out in the field. Uh, the only field I want to be out in is the one in Stillwater on uh, on Saturday, <laughs> you know, and that's not in any uh, backwoods part of Stillwater. That's on um, that's on Hall of that's on Duck and Hall of Fame is the field I want to be on. So Jones, with all that said, I don't hunt. I can't tell you the last time that I've actually went hunting with the intent to kill something. Um, it just doesn't really do it for me, and I don't care to do it. But Jones. New Jersey, um, you know, I'm sure they have deer season and duck season and dove season and rabbit season. I'm sure they got them all. Jones is talking about opening up a new season, and uh, it's not gonna it's it's not gonna be on any other animal out in the wild. It's it's, it's going to be on your your uh, your Garfields, your uh, your little kitty cats. Uh, feral cat season in Licking County. Prosecutor proposes permanent solution to cat problem. And if you can see this picture, it's from this comes from the Newark Advocate, uh, which is a uh, a company under USA Today. It looks like uh, Jones, the guy that they're showing here, Bill Hayes, is the one that's uh, trying to have open season on feral cats. He's got kind of a grin, to be honest with you here. <laughs> it makes it funny. He's uh, I'll send it to you right now. He's he. He's looking like he's having a hell of a time talking about killing cats. Um, but, yeah, so anyway, they're trying to open up this um, feral cat, open season on feral cats. Could 2023 offer an open season on feral cats in Licking County? At least one candidate for county commissioner thinks it should be explored. During a forum Monday evening at Career and Technology Education Centers of Licking County, Candidates for county commissioner were asked what they thought should be done about the feral cat problem plaguing many area communities. One group working to spay and neuter their animals said there are 130 active feral cat colonies. Not just feral cats, colonies. I didn't know cats could be in colonies. 130 active feral cat colonies across the county. Um, goes on to say prosecutor Bill Hayes, who is running for commissioner in the Republican primary, proposed a more aggressive approach to dealing with the animals. This won't be very popular. We have a squirrel season. Various, this would have me dying in the, in the meeting. This would have sent me out of the chair. This won't be very popular. We have a squirrel season, various seasons. It would seem to me if you've got an animal that's not a pet for anybody, you've got to do what you got to do to make the situation better. A feral cat season, if you need to, you got to do what you got to do, says Hayes who previously served in the state legislature. Commissioner Rick Black, also a Republican, said the county animal shelter takes dogs, but the law does not require taking in cats. We have plenty of dogs to look after, Black said. I support getting the spay and neuter program going as much as we can. People got to take some personal responsibilities for these animals. Um, some revised code I mentioned here defines a companion as any animal that is kept inside a residential dwelling, and any dog or cat, regardless of where it's kept. Jones, I will say, I will make a revision to my statement. This is not New Jersey. This is Ohio. Um, and didn't mention the state, and I assumed Newark advocate was Newark, New Jersey. I was wrong. So they're not open season on 
Cats in New Jersey, but Ohio, it's fair game, it sounds like. It further states, no person shall knowingly torture, torment, needlessly mutilate, or maim, cruelly beat, poison, needlessly kill, or commit an act of cruel, cruelty against a companion animal. That's a big word there, companion. Jones, are you for open season on feral cats? I can tell you when I was growing up, um, we had feral cats in my neighborhood. Uh, this might get some flack for old Johnny B, my dad. But my dad used to trap them and take them out to the country, like, and let them go out there. I didn't really problem with it. My mom did. He didn't hurt them. He just, they were feral. They were wild cats that lived outside that would hiss on at you if you walked by. He would just get a live trap, trap them, take them out to his friend's land and uh, dump them out there. Man. Never, um, I, I don't know. That's what he told me. That's what he did with them. I can neither confirm or deny that for sure, but they were no longer on our street. Yeah. The, the feral cats for me are always uh, interesting because, for one, if, if you see one out, how do you know, Tom, it's a feral cat or one that's, run, that's you know, lost? How, how do you tell the difference? Well, I guess, I mean, in that case, I guess you probably better put start putting a collar on your cat. Right. Uh, you know, if open season happens. That's you know. where I would be hesitant, you know, like, you know, people that go hunting, part of it is a thrill, you know, whatever. Like, oh, yeah, I got this big buck, you know, or, you know, shot this big deer. I, I don't see any excitement in, and maybe I'm wrong, maybe I'm not their demographic. I don't see where the thrill would be all. Oh, Oh, hell yeah, I killed a cat, you know? I mean, like, to me, that that would... Where, where's the fun in that? Yeah, I and mean, I'm not sure, Jones. I'm not sure if they're just trapping them and killing them. Like, obviously, if it's in a, in a public space, they can't. you can't just be rolling around with a 22 just shooting them. Maybe you could. I don't know. It's Ohio. I feel like some places in Ohio are, like, more like big city area, and I feel like maybe this Licking County is more like backwoods Oklahoma. I don't know. Are we getting Coweta, Ohio? Or are we getting Cleveland, Ohio? You know, where are we? Where is, you know, I don't know. Um, here you go. This person said, funny, they love declaring open season on squirrels, ducks, and cats. Um, or in now cats. Um, you know, there's some other ridiculously com ridiculous comments on this Reddit thread. Jones, I don't know how I feel about it. I don't know what, you know, some person on here said trap, neuter, and release is often used to keep the feral populations in check because the neuter ferals will still defend their territory. Um, I don't know. I know this, this, I did this Tom Fuller because one, uh, never heard of feral cat season, and two, it's very controversial. Um, some people say, you know, shoot them, you know. I know for one, I know for one, my dad coming from, you know, we go to the lake on his side of the family and it's, uh, you know, you know, cussing and carry on pretty redneck, you know, not, you know, you, you, Jones, for what it's worth, the time you tried moonshine was from my father. So if that tells you anything, he's like, well, they keep, you know, I, I remember growing up, he's like, these damn cats don't stop in the yard. I'm going to take care of it myself. <laughs> my mom used to be like, John, no, you won't. 
you know, growing up. That's always funny to think about. But uh, and uh, on top of that, the the uh, person that your dad got moonshine from didn't he get arrested for making moonshine or something? Yeah, it's my dad's friend's friend that was making, and he got uh he got hit with a charge. I don't know. I don't know. I don't. And he's an old man. He was like a ninety-seven year old man's one making it. So I don't know what they're gonna do to him. Um, but needless to say, the uh, the uh, moonshine supply uh, in Northeast Oklahoma is probably a little bit thinner. But uh, besides the point, there with the moonshine thing, it's those type of people that be like, you know what? Let's shoot the cats. Who cares? You know, I don't know. Maybe Jones. Maybe the devil's advocate part of this would be like, well. You know, if there were feral dogs, you know, then a lot of people would have trouble literally shooting a dog. Right. I'm team dog. Um, if I had to pick dog or cat, I'm team dog. Feral cats, they, uh, I can tell you, they they mark their territory and they spray cat piss everywhere. Um, I think cat smells worse than the dogs. Um the cat piss is actually, I mean, it's horrendous. I don't know. I remember growing up, this house that was next to ours set empty for a while, and there was some feral cats that lived there. And where, and you could smell it. And that's when my dad was like, all right, we're trapping them all, and I'm taking them out the country. And that's what it did. And the smell didn't last for much longer. Um, oh, but That's gross. You're right, it was. And, um, you here's know. A, I, here's a question for you. Speaking of, like, feral animals and such i was wondering about this the other day i even googled it i don't know how it came up but if humans didn't exist could house dogs and house cats make it without humans uh depends on what kind of dog you think um like 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 a small chihuahua or a pug or um, some little uh, other little dog, probably not. I'm, I'm sure, I'm sure they could. I mean, you think about feral cats too. Um, they're not like a natural animal out in the wild, right? Like a squirrel is. Like the before we cats got domesticated, it was. I don't think there was just a lot of feral cats out there. You know, they say that a house cat or a feral cat that looks like a house cat is actually kind of like. I forget the statistics, forgive me, but it's like ridiculously like they account for like the the uh, other like, I don't know, the ecosystem around that outside house cat. They kill like so many different birds and other animals out in the wild that would not necessarily happen. Um, forgive me, I'm not an environmentalist or anything like that, so I don't necessarily have to word that, but they kill like a ton of birds, okay? And I guess that's a terrible thing. Um, you know, and I guess it, it affects local ecosystems. And they say like a house cat outside it is terrible for the environment. Um, forgive me because I don't know the ins and outs of that. But so I don't think feral cats are normal. I don't think like, uh, you know, what we've come to know as domesticated dog, like a wild dog is not natural outside, right? Like that's not a natural animal that occurs like a deer right and you know if there was a wild or a feral dog problem that obviously poses a lot more danger to the general public than a feral cat right you wouldn't want a, a rabid dog or a feral wild dog running around for one kids the feral cat is going to run away from you and you know unless you get up in its space 
a cat is not going to be able to kill a small child. At so, least I don't think so. The, a wild the long could... answer to that is, you know, the short answer to that is that dogs and cats would live on without humans, but maybe not like the small dogs and cats. Right. I mean, obviously you have like bobcats and stuff that do just fine out in the wild. Yeah. I don't think it depends. Is it is that is it a feral cat to begin with or is it a house cat at the beginning? Uh, I'm saying a uh, house animal. No, I don't think I don't think so. They'd be so used to getting fed and, you know, support. And then they come across something else wild and probably wouldn't know what to do. Yeah. Um, you know, but I guess I guess to be fair. There had to feral cats had to come from somewhere, which I would assumed would have been a house cat at one point in time, if you want to go all the way back, um, or a stray cat that just had a bunch of different kittens, and those kittens kind of grew up not in a house, and however many litters later, then you have a feral cat. Jones, final final verdict on this: 130 cat colonies. Just for shits and giggles here, how many is in a cat colony? Uh, 20. We're going to look up the answer to see if there's one. Okay, you're close here. The size of cat colonies can vary greatly from as little as two cats to up to about 15. But the cat colonies, feral cats are quite sociable, forming close friendships with other cats and collectively rearing their young. Okay, so 15 cats in a colony, Jones. We're talking in one county. Let's just do the math here, because I'm I, I like this is like um, what do you call it? Uh, Five thirty-eight type deal. We're doing the math. Licking County, Ohio, population. Let's see. Okay, one hundred and seventy-six thousand people in the county. Um, so. Don't know how big the county is. It's pretty much smack dab in the middle of Ohio. It's about the same size as all the other counties there. Um, there are over 130 colonies in that county. 130 times 15. We're looking at almost 2,000 cats. 2,000 feral cats running around. Every time a cat gets bred, they have probably, I don't know, at least four four kittens. That's give or take, um, especially because they're wild. Uh, Jones, that's a lot of cats. Final verdict from you. Are you for trapping and killing wild feral cats? Uh, I'm going to have to pass. Uh, I don't feel comfortable with advocating for killing uh, cats. Uh, I, I, I see where people are going with it, but I, I'm not there. If it was a squirrel problem? Uh, squirrel would be different. What if it was a duck problem? A duck? Yeah, duck would be different too. Yeah. If you can eat it, then I think it's different. Huh. I'm not going to be eating a feral gonna, cat. I am going to refrain from commenting on cat eating. <laughs> I'm just like, there's a lot of things I could say and jokes could be made. And I won't do it. Jones, I don't know how I feel. Uh, to be wishy washy here. I don't. We as people do not like to kill things that we see as pets. That's why pigs are fair game and horses are not. That's why ducks are fair game and I don't know. People don't kill and eat their parrots. You know, uh, you know, some birds are fair, some birds aren't. You know, I don't know. 
Yeah. I feel like this is this could get a lot of hate. I there's sometimes you got to deal with them. They're wild. They're not anybody's pet. It, this discussion have, got I'm weird sure, real quick. I'm sure there's not. I'm sure there's a better way than just to literally kill them. Yeah. But but to be fair, you know what? I'm not going to be the one doing the killing. No. I'm told you I don't hunt. But if they if they however they got to get rid of them, they got to get rid of them. We got to go. <laughs> Before we say something we regret, uh, big thanks to Chris Blank for stopping by as well as Coach Bo. As always, subscribe to the show. New episodes out each and every Thursday. Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts. Leave us five-star review or don't leave us one at all. You can follow the show on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Studio Soapbox. Twitter at uh, Studio underscore Soapbox. At Tyler Jones Live. At Thomas underscore Bridges. Facebook.com forward slash Tyler Jones live Instagram Jones underscore report Tyler Jones live instant Thomas you can find us there and we will see you right back here next week for Thomas Bridges our entire crew of Tyler Jones thanks so long it's been another edition of Jones Live.